podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, welcome to another two-parter of the Barb. Barbless fly fi- I almost said barfless again. The Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast. Uh, me and Nick, as you guys know, if you listen to episode uh, the the first day, uh, day one at the fl- the Pleasanton Fly Fishing Show, we were there. This is what you guys are about to listen to is day two. Um, if you haven't listened to uh, day one, um, it, that's okay. These can be listened to out of order, um, but you know, however you guys want to attack it. Every again, the uh, as we said on the first uh, first day intro. All the um, the people that we talked to that we're going to go through right now, they're all time coded in the show notes, so you can skip around if you so choose. Um, Nick, what else? No, that's good. Uh, the first guest was uh, Conway Bowman. He was he's the guy down in San Diego who we that fishers for Mako sharks. In insane, insane. Like it's weird. not your typical fly fishing. You know, we're, you're, oh you're chumming God. you're chumming these things up. But to hook a shark on a fly is and. Uh, uh, just something that you will and, never and forget. Do you remember the picture of the uh, like 400 pound plus Mako he's yeah. showed us well, that, they, that's like th- at least 10 feet off the water? They jump 10 to 20 feet in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, he gets into basically how they get those fish in in uh, casting distance and talks about fighting them and a bunch of other stuff. And he also went on the record, and I'm I'm going to hold him to this. Is he's going to do it on the water with us? Um, down there in San Diego um, later this year. And then uh, I think after that, I can't remember exact order, but Megan Barker, she's with TU. Mm-hmm. And we talked about uh, Pebble Mine. That's that's a big issue. And if uh, again, if you're listening to this, I know I said it uh, when we were interviewing her, but you owe it to yourself and everybody um, and everybody to go online and uh, voice your opinion on that. Yeah, they just need... They need you guys to basically sign sign some stuff on a on a website. Um, that all that data or data all that info is in that episode that that segment of this episode. Um, who else? John. We had John on. John Sherman. Yep. We went over um, a lot of their new product line. Really cool stuff. He talked about the uh, design process a bit, but also uh, got into as some of you probably know. He listened. He he's pretty well known in the photography world and in the sport of fly fishing for his work uh he we ask him some questions around compensation or compensation composition um the type of you know what his kit is you know lenses uh camera body all that stuff um what who else uh matt coles gilligan gilligan's guide service gilligan. i love that name but that's awesome he guides uh what east Truckee. yep yep just out of what Sparks. a stud and that's the one that made this episode uh, explicit. Also. <laughs> that's right. So thanks, Matt. 
<laughs> no, he's awesome. The guy's um, the guy's fishy. You can tell. You know, you can see it in some people's eyes when you talk to him, right? All right. I'm sure these these folks want to listen to this episode. So, who, what else we got? We got and then uh, Michelle Titus of Clearwater Lodge. She's she was so cool. Super very cool. very nice lady. Um, what it, so Clearwater? You want Clearwater without, Lodge without based, giving up the gander? Yeah, uh, it's near 15 minutes from the fall. The hat, the pit. There's something to go fish up there, and, and just, they have ping pong, and it's just it sounds like a fun place just to be. You know, and the fishing is going to be a bonus for everybody. And they, she gave us an invite to come up there for an on the water for you guys. So we're going to go up there, and I believe, believe what um, June or something yep. or April, April, yep. end of April. Um, so we'll be doing some on the water stuff with her guides up there, and hopefully get that into your guys' ear holes before uh, you guys make any commit long long commitments this year. Ron Ron was a, a guy sitting at the tables tying flies and and he was a, he was fun. I'd love to have him back on just to talk to him more. But What's his he, last name? Vanderheiden. Vanderheiden. He uh he had a lot of a uh, lot of things to say. He's been a part of the industry for over 30 years and uh, was just a wealth of knowledge, but he had a specific fly that we'll we'll be showing on in our show notes or at least online so you and, guys can check it out. And a pretty solid rooster fish story. Yeah. 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 Um, and then Kayla, last but not least, yeah. Kayla Kadayama. You guys probably have heard from episode one. She was our, our first ever guest on the show. And then she also did one a little bit later called the sexualization of fly fishing. Uh, if you haven't heard, heard that one, you should probably, you know, go back in the archives and check it out as well. Um, that episode reached the East coast. California. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, I wanted to, how tired were you on Sunday when I was, when we were headed home? Yeah. You don't think about it, but talking like that for that long, it it wears you down a little bit. I'm not the, I'm not one of those people that gets charged up by talking to a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, you know? And so I, I slept like a baby that night and then my voice was gravelly for two days. I still think I'm a little tired, um, (laughs) but it was good, man. We, we had, we had a great time. Um, again thanks to you know cast hope for supporting us uh big scott thanks Flyer. to scott cast hope and ryan and yeah. and hogan for those guys for letting us set up and then scott for sure yeah um couldn't have done it without him so yeah appreciate and it. and you know once you guys listen to both these please let us know what you think if you if you want to hear more of this style this was kind of like the big montage at the shows if this is something you guys are into let us know and we'll try and do more uh thanks for listening and enjoy fish on Hey everyone, second day down here at the Fly Fishing Show. We've got an awesome guest, uh, Conway Bowman. Conway, how's it going? It's going great. God, it's great being here. Pleasanton, I, I haven't been to this show in, I don't know, maybe seven years? Yeah, right? It's, it's a, packed. It's packed. To the it's parking packed. lots, to the gills. Yeah, it's really great. A lot of great to see all these people interested in fly fishing. Yeah, yep. yep. We're, yeah, so we're here at the Cast Hope booth, and uh, Conway's uh, going to join talk to us about Mako on the Fly, right? Yeah, that's so. That that's what I've been doing for the last twenty five years, I think. So that's awesome. uh, sharks, in, in, right? in addition Mako to other sharks. things, make a sharks on a fly out of San Diego, and Holy uh, cow. you know, I did a presentation yesterday. But I always, I always, you know, uh, tell people, you know, the make a shark is the the greatest uh, saltwater fly uh, saltwater fly fishing adversary on the West Coast, and the reason why is because you can sight fish to it, and number two, it jumps. It's the only. Saltwater game fish on the West Coast that jumps out of the do water. Do they twist also? They do. Well, they, they don't twist. They're not like a blue shark. When they jump, they do these big, giant somersaults. They do greyhounding like a marlin. 
wow. and then they make these tremendous runs. I mean, they'll run. You know, uh, you, you always hear guys, yeah, I had a fish that ran, you know, 100 yards. Well, I mean, 100 yards is a, lo is a long distance. A mega shark will run 300 yards while I'm chasing them down on the boat how and while they're jumping. How much backing do you pack? Uh, so I've got about 650 yards of backing. <laughs> so don't bring your own gear. You have that all, right? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> nobody, nobody has the setup that I have. And you know, it's really specific to that fishery yeah. because, yeah. once again, you're dealing with a fish that's, you know, on average 100 pounds, but... You know, the chances of catching a fish over 200 and even up into that four, 500 pound range, I mean, that's not, that's not out of the realm of, of possibility. So get ready for that. What? And you're sight fishing to them. How, do you, how would you classify the speed of a mako in comparison to other so, fish? Is, are they, they're fast, aren't they? They're considered the third fastest fish in the ocean, whatever that means. But <laughs> you've got you to understand. So put that in perspective. A mako shark chases down tuna, oh. swordfish, and sailfish and marlin. So those are considered very fast fish. Yeah, very so fast. So a mako shark can chase those down and eat them. So I think their Jeez. burst speed is like 60 miles an hour. They're insane. And when you that's hook crazy. them, they will, they will they'll be moving away from the boat at probably 30 miles an that, hour. That's insane because uh, I've seen, I've, I've been around like big tuna under the boat and yeah. stuff, and I've described it as like at dusk when bats start coming out and they dart around, and that's what a tuna looks like when it's shooting under the boat yeah. this and that way. And a mako being able to catch that is yeah. pretty nuts. With no problem. I mean, they, yeah. they have absolutely no problem doing that. So they're, they're an unbelievable game fish, and they're just right here in Southern California. That's awesome. So uh, it, it sounds like there's a very wide variance in terms of how big these guys are. So what rods are you bringing on the boat so size-wise? Even a smaller mako, I, I, I don't like a smaller mako is a 40-pound mako. That's what I would consider small. I still target those with a 12-weight because you really need a rod that's got enough lifting power to get those fish, you know, the, the last part of that battle, typically they'll sound on you, and they'll, they'll go down, you know, 30 feet. What maybe does that feet. mean? They just dive? They dive. So okay. they'll go right, they'll dive. So you need a rod that's, that's stout enough to, to be able to lift those fish up. Why are they doing that? Is that a body temperature regulation thing? or No, it's just, I think just at, at the end of a fight, they just want to, they're, they're like a tuna. Like, they'll go straight down. But w when you first hook them, they run straight out. And they stay on the surface, and they jump, and they do all this stuff. And then as you battle them back to the boat, however long that takes, it might be 20 minutes, you know. Depends on the angler. Shoot, it might be four hours. Yeah, I mean, even a great angler could get their asses so, handed to them. <laughs> and this is a team sport then also, because I've fought a, a tuna about, you know, a couple hundred pounds, and I, I think I gassed it about 30 minutes yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing about a mako, as with a fighting a tuna, you have to keep maximum pressure on those fish at every moment. If you do not, you'll never get the fish in, especially big makos. They'll just stay out. They'll stay 40 feet away from the boat. You know, you'll, you'll make a great run. You'll get them to the boat, and they'll just stay 40 feet away. So, and, so you have to kick their ass. I mean, you really have to put pressure on them. So once again, that's why you need a really stout rod. So that's why I start with a 12 weight. Start with a 12, and I've got some, like, custom, I mean, I, I guess they'd be considered, like, 20 weights. I don't know. They're big-ass <laughs> yeah. rods. So uh, what... The reel that you're putting on that, it's not like a 12, 12 reel. It's like what? Because you need all that, that it, capacity for the It's the, the biggest big game reel. I use Orvis reels, and they're huge. Okay. I mean, they're, okay. they're Mirage 7s. Uh, they're the older. In fact, they don't make that reel anymore. I'm kind of pissed right. off about it right. because um, they're huge. They're large arbor, 650 yards of backing. You know, so, but any, you know, any big game reel that you're going to get from any of these companies will work great. But yeah. you, need, you need to have... The backing capacity. You also need a drag, yeah, a drag system yeah. that you can set at least 
18 to 20 pounds of pressure on. You want to make sure that backing's put on there properly, too. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, that's a big one. You, you, I, you mean you don't have your local fly shop put your back? I don't have any you? fly shop put there. <laughs> no. And no, you no, use no. Glo- like I, leather gloves I, and all that? I have had so many disasters with guys that come down and they rig their own stuff. And, you know, so the, the, the Mako Shark's running, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, where'd the fly line go? You know, the knot comes, you Gone. know, breaks. So I really, I inspect everybody's gear before they even get on that boat. Yeah. Or... I just say, hey, use yeah. my stuff. Yeah. I would just because I, you know, I, I I don't want you to lose. A I would world come class with game. water and maybe a sandwich. That's all I say. It. Just show up with some sunscreen, some <laughs> yeah. glasses, and just yeah. get ready. Walk us uh, walk us through a quick story about uh, maybe standing up on the, the front of the boat and you got your fly and rod ready. Talk, talk us about how you're hooking in one of these fish and what what to expect. So basically, we we go. I'm fishing on average six miles off the coast. So you're w- within sight of land. Okay, so it's it's not very far. We're in a bay boat, 24 foot bay boat. It's, a, it's like a gigantic, gigantic bass boat. So it's, it's a pretty small boat. So we're sitting there. I set the chum slick up. And anywhere from, you know, one minute to two hours, usually your first Mako shows up. Mako comes right to the boat. There's no, there's no question. They find the boat. It's like, hey. And, it, and they're, they're ready to, I mean, they don't spook. You know, they, they, they'll circle the boat. And what I'll do is I'll assess the Mako to see what their personality is. So um, I, call, I, I call it. Um, they either have their light switch turned on or off. If it's off, they're coming around and just circling, looking and searching, right? Just kind of, you know, you know, examining what's going on on the boat. If they come in like that, I'll throw a hookless teaser out. So it's it's like a it's a uh, it's a marlin skirt with a, a a belly strip of a tuna in it. I'll throw it out in front of them and I'll just bait and switch them right to the boat. Once they lock in on that teaser, then the light switch goes on and now they're pissed and now they want to attack. So th- at that point. The angler throws out these big giant marlin poppers that I have. You make a 30-foot cast, throw it out there, lead the fish maybe by 10, by 10 feet, make one strip, and it's almost 100% chance that shark's going to come over and grab that fly. And so once that shark grabs that fly, it's just basically you let them come tight, you let them turn away from the boat, and then you just set the hook, do a strip strike, or what? You can do whatever kind of strike you want. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't really matter. But make yeah. sure you, you lodge that hook in the corner of that shark's mouth. And then they're off, and they're running, and they're jumping, and I'm chasing them down. And then you can get them to the boat. You know, it could take 10 minutes. It could take three hours. It just depends on how big the fish is. Get them to the boat, and then I get to release them, which is interesting. So, well, like, eight-pound eight, eight pound floral tippet then? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, 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 I don't even know. I, I think... It's a piano wire? Seriously? I mean, like... No, so my rig is I use a three-foot piece of stainless steel wire. It's, like, it's, it's rated for 120 pounds. So it's single strand. And then from there, I go with like 25-pound tippet. And that's wow. it. I don't do IGFA because you got to kill the fish. I'm not doing that. I've had, guys, I've had guys, hey, I want to get a world record. I'm like, well, not with me because I'm not going to kill the shark. Yeah. You know, so. I, uh, I think one of the most impressive things, too, after that hookup is the height that these fish get up out of the water. Mako sharks jump 20 feet in the air. What? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just go to my Instagram page. You'll see some amazing. Uh, what um, is that real quick for the it's listeners? It's just Conway Bowman. Conway Bowman Instagram and uh, 20 feet and they don't do they, they do it you know three or four times so it's it's pretty insane you, you spoke about their personalities and how they change around the boat what do you what are you looking do they all of a sudden start darting around a little bit faster does the speed change what, what do you yeah so everything just changes once their light once their light switch is turned on yeah. they go into attack mode yeah. so they're, they're ready to absolutely attack anything in the water do they change colors at all? They, like you a, know, it's interesting. They, do, they light up. They're like a they marlin. Do, they they'll, do? They'll, they'll get like hues of blue in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. Um, but man, but their whole personality just changes. They go from, uh, 
you know, just kind of snooping around to like a crazed like drug addict or something. It's like, <laughs> you know, and they want to kill. They want to absolutely kill. I've always thought they they're just so they're so like uh, it, you know impressive to look at. You know, they are just their 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 teeth are just. They just look like they could do some serious damage. Torpedoes. And, and the great thing is when we get them to the boat, you can watch these sharks right next to the boat. So you don't even That's have to so make a cool. cast. You can like observe them for a couple passes and go, wow, and get right up to them and look at them. Right. And, and mean, a lot of times alone. they'll roll over and look at look at you, and then you can go ahead and catch them. So it's a great experience. It's not like you know when you go That's tarpon really fishing, cool. you get one shot, they're gone. Yeah. The makos just hang around. So, yeah. So sign you'll us, sign us up. I yeah, yeah go. you'll, hook, on, up, you'll <laughs> hook up one. It'll go on and run. You fight it. Are the others still kind of just chilling? Well, a lot of times they'll try to chase the other one down to kill it. Think, oh, whoa. Yeah. Wow. So what whoa. happens once you hook them? Those sharks, if there are other sharks in the slick, it sends out a signal that now that shark is, is weak. And I've seen this, I don't know how many times, the other sharks will locate that fish and get behind it. And I think they're trying to basically kill it, get it out of the, get it out of the gene pool. You know? So, whoa. and, you know, also if you have a number of sharks around the boat, some will just hang right by the boat. They never leave. They they just don't leave. So, dude, um, go ahead. Um, so you you said you do catch and release with them. How do you uh, unbutton them <laughs> without getting your hand yeah, bit off? Pretty pretty. Uh, I don't know. No, I've got a release stick. It's a it's a four foot release stick. It's a it's an open ended stainless steel um, sort of a, a U shaped hook. And so I use all, all barbless hooks, by the way, because you don't want a bar because when you hook a mako, they've got a kind of a rubbery part in the corner of their mouth. If you have, if you have a barb on that hook, a lot of times you can't dislodge penetrate. it. Oh, yeah. So if, if you try to release them in the boat, you don't get it. Now they're pissed. And that's when they get really squirrely and jump in the boat. So the barbless hook makes it easy for me to, to slide that release stick right down on the gape of the hook. And you mm-hmm. just apply pressure, and then they're gone. So it's kind of like a gaff, but it's kind of like, not a yeah, gaff. Basically. Yeah. And then if I've got really big makos, like these three, 400-pounders, I typically use a very long leader on those, and I'll just basically break the leader. And because I'm using tube flies, um, the fly will float up over the broken leader, and then I'll just go retrieve the fly. And then the hook is barbless, and the, the sharks will shake that hook right out of their mouth. So yeah. how, how big is that fly? Massive, 8 to 12 inches long. Wow. They're, they're in essence they're blue marlin flies. Okay. And what, what's the benefit? We just saw a bunch of tube flies yesterday at one of the tires that's here at the show. Uh, what? Why use a tube fly over say a traditional you know big clouds or something? That's like a great. That? Uh, that's a great question. So, the reason why you use a tube fly uh, or with a popper is okay. The tube fly is great because when I have to release the fish, I don't have a bunch of you know material mm-hmm. on that hook so i can it literally slide i can up. slide it up and i can get right to the hook and hold the leader okay the steel leader so it, it makes it really easy the second thing is with a popper um it keeps the fly on the surface and so you're forcing the mako shark to come up and take the fly on the surface and in doing that you're ensuring a a, a corner a, a hook in the corner of the mouth because they're turning on it as they it, hit you're watching it so i will i'll instruct people don't set don't set don't set let them take it and they'll take it and they'll turn away and then that hook will roll right to the corner Is of it their a mouth. circle hook no it's not no, no it's a standard j hook yeah okay um but if you have a fly that sinks below the surface, a lot of times they'll come in pretty quickly and just and, and just grab it. And the angler, if, if the glare is really tough on the water, they can't see it, they'll set the hook in, and they'll hook the fish in a weird spot under the chin, maybe, you know, in the cheek or outside the mouth. And if you do that, you're screwed. You'll never, I mean, you'll never get the fish in. So that's why that popper is great. And the visual of a, a big mako coming up and taking a popper off the surface, oh it's, it, it's, it's insane. We got to do, do it on the hat? water with you, man. Yeah. Do you want a hat? Go ahead and grab that hat. Or that one. Yeah, whatever one you want. 
What scout right trip are you in, bud? What's it? Right on, 275. Oh, nice. Sweet. Thanks for stopping by, man. Good luck fishing out there. That little guy, that, little man. stick. So awesome. Probably can cast like twice as far oh, as yeah. I can. What's yeah. cool is there's, you know, as many adults are here, there's a lot of kids, which is awesome. And that's what, that's so what this industry needs, right? That was really cool. I was uh, I was here yesterday with a lot of older folks. Yeah. You know, it was sort of, but I mean, it's really cool to see these young kids hanging around. Let's, let's switch to that real quick. Yeah. You, you just, uh, Cast Hope is where we're sitting right now, but um, they're starting to spread out and they're now in San Diego and you're going to start running that program. That's down right. There, right? Oh, I'm the regional cool. director at Cast Hope in San Diego. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I think, um, you know, Ryan and Hogan really looked at it and they considered it, you know, that's a great, a, a great next expansion because we have so much great fishing down there. We have so many underserved kids in that community. Um, a lot of bass fishing. A lot of bass fishing. So it's a little different dynamic. You know, we don't have the traditional trout fishing that, that Cast Hope has in other places, but we have great warm water fishery. We've yeah. got great fishing in the bays and there's just a lot of great opportunities for those kids and their mentor to get out there and appreciate you know, the, the city lakes, the ocean, and all that stuff. So it's going to be unique in that it's going to be different, but it's going to be a great challenge. But I'll tell you, that community down there is it's, it's really diverse. You've got a lot of kids that really are, you know, they're yearning to get outdoors, and we can pro provide that great opportunity for them. Yeah, that's, that's very fa cool. That's fantastic. Get them off the video games and out and out oh. outdoors, right? So I've teamed up <laughs> with, with a, a buddy of mine. He's got a, he's got a, uh, a mentoring um uh, organization called team grit he takes kids out and they do archery they do trail hiking they do all sorts of stuff and he takes them through a, a pretty rigorous physical uh, physical fitness program you know and he works directly with the san diego city schools and all their underserved programs underserved kid programs so i've teamed with him and i think it's really going to be cool because we've got a pipeline to i mean Access right to, to, this, kind of, to, yeah. this, to city schools oh, and then fantastic. My day gig, I'm a wetlands manager for the city of San Diego's water department. So we have, I have access to eight reservoirs that we can, we can use as educational uh, venues for these kids. So That's the really setup's cool. going to be great. You know, it's, and we're definitely in the beginning stages, but I think down the road, it's going to be really, really cool. That's awesome, that's Conway. Sweet. Thanks for doing that. I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be huge down there. Well, as, as I mean, my, the, base, the greatest thing in my life is my dad took me fishing every chance he had every weekend that's what we did and there's so many kids out there that don't have that opportunity anymore because right. just the dynamic the family dynamics now yep. or just just socioeconomic dynamics yep. so if we can just get one kid out there to appreciate fishing the outdoors and fly fishing shoot we won man yeah and that that statement's really the the dna of cast hope so if you guys haven't heard of them go check out casthope.org um, yeah. How can people follow you on it on the gram and uh, on your website or Facebook and all that stuff? So it's Conway Bowman on Instagram. It's Conway Bowman's Fishing the World on Facebook, and uh, ConwayBowman.com. That's my website. So if you want want to want to know more about Mako shark fly fishing or whatever, go check it out. And uh, I want to I want to carve out a day in your schedule this year, and me and Nick will go down and, go. and do an on the water with you because I think that would be sick. Oh, it, yeah. It, will, it would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for cool. stopping by. You got it. Thanks, really guys. Appreciate it. appreciate it. All right, guys. Still down here at the show. We've got John Sherman down here from Sims. Sherman, what's happening? What's going on, guys? Stoked to be with you. Hey, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, man. I know you've been on with us before, uh, I think, on the water episode with 
Chadley, Chadley, right? Yeah, the yeah. um the Pro Delta Day. Tro, yep, Pro Delta Day. Well, yeah. we could on the roof the, of Sugar Bar with a with the uh, air conditioner raging behind us. That's remember? right. <laughs> well, we could talk to you for a couple hours. I know we got a few minutes. Uh, just uh, maybe tell us what what's new at Sims and what are, what are you excited about? Yeah, we're having a great year. We're uh, right in our spring 19 launch, and uh, what we've seen here at the show, we're day two, almost over with now. But we uh, we launched the new flyweight wading boot, which is like an ultra lightweight. I've heard about this. Is that, boot. is that yeah. what my dad bought from you guys today? He did, yeah. Okay, yeah. that he was trying to tell me what he's like. It's light, and I forget what he was calling it. I'm like, I, I don't know about it. Okay. So cool. flyweight boot. Think of uh, your fish in the upper sack and you want to hike the railroad tracks and you're on the trail most of the time and then you want to go down and you want to have a traction of vibram rubber that you can actually have good traction when you're on the water you can throw cleats into the into it as well so the perfect kind of walk wade nice. um wading boots so that's been a really big one for us there's some ankle support to it there is it's it's an ultra light though it's one of the lightest if not the lightest wading boot ever created so, so it's super did it super take light. over from the other lightweight yeah we had the vapor boot in the yeah. past so this is the redesign of the vapor but it's a totally new product kind of grounded it started from the the foot up or from the sole up and it's going to give you traction in wet slippery environments it's ultra lightweight and it still is something that we're going to be proud to put the Sims name on. So, uh, is um, it the same one with the neoprene boot built into it? It's not. That's the intruder boot. That boot the, is sick. That's a killer I boot. So think of that without that the neoprene uh, sock on the inside, designed to fit over waders. So this is a true uh, wading yeah, boot yeah, yeah. Okay. over the top of your waders. You hike into the, your stream. If you want to wet wade with it, you buy a guard sock and you're off and running. So yeah. for Northern California, for what we do around here, so much time on a the trail, of, a lot of hiking. A lot yeah. of hiking. It's going to be a really good yeah. option there. I, what I I found that that intruder boot has got range in terms of the environments you can take it into like i use that that's my wet wade boot for sure yep and then i took it to australia also and was like going over coral but also rock hopping on on eddies or jetties and stuff it was the perfect boot for for all those applications and it's just like that one boot does so much yeah kind of a go-to in the amazon too a lot of guys are using that when they're fishing golden dorado kind of walking waiting you need felt because the, the traction is pretty challenging there and yeah. then you want something ultra light ankle support your boulder hopping a bunch so cool. you see lots of applications for that, that boot that's, that's awesome well i went to new zealand a couple years ago the one thing i the best thing i bought before i went was a pair of those sims the lightweight ones the older models yeah I mean, I just, I put so many miles of my backpack on, like just hiking for hours, you know, yeah. I mean, I wasn't even fishing. I was just using them to hike with, you know, cause we wanted to keep it light and keep, keep your gear, uh, your gear down to a minimum, you know, totally. and that's pretty cool. I'm excited to check these out. One of, to... one of the other uh, big, big launches we had this year is some price point waders. Like Sims has always been known for our high end or pinnacle yeah. waders. We actually have the tributary waders, which are going to start for kids at 140 bucks. So oh, now awesome. we're going to become a little more inclusive as a brand allow you know the new angler into the brand a bit more so we're going to have a yeah kids tributary at 140 and then for adults both men and women we're at 180 bucks so you get a sims quality waiter wow. south Pretty of 200 cool. so that's super cool and then we redesigned our freestone waders as well so you have a new women's and men's freestone including a men's zipper freestone they're all uh the the standard stocking foots are going to be at 279 and then you've got the zipper at 379 so Great new waders from Sims, Torre fabrics and those Freestones that are lightweight and breathable and super comfortable. They made them a lot more durable, really worked on fit, and uh, you got a, a winning new uh, new wader combo for us. How does how does the Sims uh, product development work in terms of 
you know, new concept and new products. And you guys, the the reps are kind of the tip of the spear for product management in a lot of ways. Like, is there a feedback loop between you guys that are out on at shows like this and and doing the the retail hopscotch thing? Um, is there a feedback loop back to the back to the home office yeah, and the designers that's, there? That's How a great, that work? really good question. Sims is uh, of all the brands I've worked for over the years, Sims is definitely values rep feedback. They value feedback from the field. Obviously, we're you know the choice of professional guides and anglers worldwide so we're really uh looking for feedback from the pros that are in the field all the day but it usually starts with hey what are we seeing what are the trends in the industry what are we seeing at the consumer show here obviously the the flyweight's a big talk of the show so far but then we provide that feedback in rep advisory meetings uh both in person and on conference calls to uh the mothership yeah. And so they actually have a rep advisory team where we come out, we sit down with the team, and then we provide feedback again at that point. Also, Pro Delta Day, you saw that. We have product development team leaders there that are also developing product uh, feedback from the field. They're wanting to know what the pros are seeing, and they're in a more personal environment. So, yeah, getting that input back is is key to making the product better. And then we're usually you know working on an 18-month to two-year timeline before where we take that feedback until you actually see see the, yeah. yeah the final product yeah. in that range like so right now spring spring 20 is already baked uh we're going to see that here in a couple months fall 20 is still in the last tweaking processes and then yeah. we're really taking feedback now on like spring 21 which sounds like a forever way do you, but, do you guys but, like do you guys take design cues from other and in adjacent industries and what i mean by adjacent is just like i i i i'm starting to see the reason i ask is i'm starting to see trends in the, the approach to design, right, for products that are coming out of the, say, the motorcycle industry, especially like dirt bike gear is starting to kind of, there's there's certain aspects of dirt bike design elements I'm starting to see in this sport now. Yep. And it's pretty, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think it has to do with the demographic that you guys need to, you know, that is the new demographic that might be a little more. Uh, spendy right now trying to gear up for whatever their career may be no doubt i don't know so much on the motorcycle side of things dirt bike side of things but definitely in outdoor there's a ton of similarities there we're often a lot of the product people come from the outdoor side of things so they might be avid anglers but they have you know history at patagonia columbia you name it and those brands and then we look at looking for a product category manager that has that input and has a fishy background and a fishy dna (laughs) and then we take that together and then you know learn at what the trends are like all of our product team managers are at out outdoor retailer show you know right. they're seeing what the trends are in outdoor what's going on in and snowboard ski etc so we're, we're we're learning quickly from them and then looking at what you know other and then they're learning from us like there's a lot of shared interest both ways so it's, it's pretty cool that way yeah i think the the biggest thing i see with sims and um if you're listening in in you know, you always have a hard time fitting into a shirt or a jacket or whatever it is. You guys just absolutely excel when it comes to the fit, you know, for the waiters. I mean, do you have the most sizes probably in the industry, right? We do. Like our G3 waiter, just the one uh, standard model has 23 total sizes. And then we have, you know, you add custom sizes on top of that. You're at 32 total sizes for one waiter model. Jeez. And, and by building waiters in the USA, that gives us that ability to do that. We're not having to order 500 units of one extra large yeah. king short. We can actually build, you know, five of yeah. them at a time. And so that, that, that made in the USA DNA is such an important part of what we do. 
and having that ability and that partnership with Gore-Tex to bring the best laminates together in a package that works best for the professional guide, which we know will work great for our consumers as well. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things I think on the, the Sims uh, YouTube site is all your, where you're they're talking to the, it's a montage and they're talking to the employees that work there and they're like crafting the waiters. That's yeah, a good yeah. video. Just those like yeah. macro shots of just the hands, kind of dirty hands, like doing the sewing and it's just. The waiter makers, yeah. yeah that man, was what it's just, all about. It's you just, see. They're you know. like fine Italian shoemakers, you know? <laughs> so that, that's the vibe I got. And I'm like, all right, this is. This is pretty dope. Super, super cool. Yeah, the Waiter Makers is, I think, one of the best campaigns we made, just really showing off I who agree, we are dude. and then who are the people behind the waiters that you guys are wearing every day. You know, it's a really, really cool story. People ask me all the time, they're like, okay, what, what pair of waiters should I get? And I'm like, they're like on their like fifth pair of like Hodgman or what, I'm not going to start naming names, but just cheap, cheap, you know, inexpensive waiters and they're just keeping replacing and replacing them like, you know, if you just would have bought a nice pair of Sims, yeah. you'd still be wearing those, like, and then some, you know? Yeah. You buy right or you buy twice. Dude, I, so I, that's got, what it's all about. I got a pair of G4s that I bought when I started three years ago, and I put a lot, lot of beating on those things. Slid down on my ass, down rocks, <laughs> not intentionally. <laughs> Falling on my knees and not intentionally. I, my point is, I mean, I put them through the ringer and those things, there's not been a single leak. And I know if there ever was, I could send them in and it would be dealt with yeah you know no it's just no you pay you pay a premium for them but they're gonna allow it to your point nick you can buy four pair of uh you know mid-range ones or you can buy a good pair of sims it makes a difference big time john tell us about uh you have anything else uh product wise that you wanted to those are the big stories uh yeah. the other i think the other story to throw out there is uh, our partnership with veil camo where we've developed proprietary unique camo prints both for uh you know, trout fishing, Sierra Nevada, Rocky Mountain, uh, conceal the angler in highly fished environments. We've got a whole new river camo package, which is really cool. So you have waders, we have a rain jacket, we have, um, you know, I see a lot of guys in warmer climates, dove hunters that want to conceal themselves. We have a, a solar flex material and river camo, which is really cool. We also just introduced, just launched in the last month, our cloud camo print. So if you're a hardcore permit angler, right. you're a carp angler fishing, you know, the Delta or up in your guys' neck of the woods, you know, carp fishing, you want to conceal yourself with a blue sky behind you, you can get much closer to those fish. Uh, you're less likely to spook them, and in heavily fished environments, we have concealment camos that are not more are not just a fashion camo, but are are truly designed to blend the angler into their environment and make it much easier to get closer to. That's easier to catch those spooky fish, whether it be a trout, a steelhead, New Zealand trout, or a carp yeah. in your backyard. That's awesome. That's very cool. So th those are the big stories this year. We have a lot more, but uh, I know we got some limited time. But did it help? Did it help you on your uh, recent trip to Mexico for the bass? Yeah, I, actually, in that environment, we had a little lower uh, sun, so yeah. concealment wasn't a big. It was more like stay warm in the mornings. It was pretty <laughs> right. darn cool. But uh, yeah, we did a we did a really cool trip down to Lake Bacharach. I'd heard, uh, you know, in my travels covering California, Arizona, Nevada, and Hawaii. I was down with one of my uh, dealers in Phoenix, Ben Kohler, at the hookup, and he had been showing me these photos of these absolutely massive bass he was catching down in Mexico, and we were, were talking a bunch about it, and I'm like, man, did you guys ever throw a fly at these things? And they're like, no, they eat umbrella rigs, they eat big swim baits, they eat swim jigs, we're doing all these different things. I'm like, dude, I gotta go down there and fly fish Double, that like Double-digit largemouth? Double-digit largemouth. Like the, he showed me like his highlight reel, his best 12 bass in 2018 alone, 
that in order to hit his best 12 bass, they had to be over 12 pounds. So Whoa. monsters. So I oh saw God. that. I'm like, dude, I, how do I get down there? I'm a bass freak, as you guys know. Yeah. And I was like, how do I get down there and do this trip? So um, I had a bunch of buddies and I go down there in December. We right in the heart of Sinaloa, right in the heart of uh, El Chapo's backyard. And uh, <laughs> we did a We did the trip down there and we just absolutely had a blast. It was uh, great fishing. Uh, awesome topwater fishing and um, yeah, best bass fishing I've experienced in my life. Really, that's yeah, crazy. Done some really cool stuff in some cool places, but there was nothing quite like this. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's the opiate plants that's that they're growing on the banks. What, what like, makes them so big? I, well, I think a couple things. Uh, they uh, they they were super powerful fish, very very strong. So I think there's tons of forage. They're eating tilapia and threadfin shad. Um, but they're in a really remote area. Uh, they don't get fished to a whole lot. And I think they're the one of the original uh, stockings of Florida bass. So they're in there. They're schooling fish. They mow big baits, and they get fat in a hurry, and they're just super, super strong. So, yeah, we had a really, really cool trip down there in December. I'm dying to get back, trying to find my way back down there. Um, I had to be a little bit uh, – I, I could – I didn't really fib or anything, but I just didn't fully disclose to my wife where I was going. I think if she uh, she's a Netflix fan, and I think she's seen some of the the shows there on the cartel down in that neck of the woods. But uh, yeah, it was super safe. I was a little bit worried about that going down there. But once we were down there, chill. yeah, it was super chill. You just don't go, you know, hiking in the in right. the hills behind you. You don't go asking questions about who the leader of uh, of uh, the cartel is, and you know everything's fine. We want to get you back to your. Uh get back to everything but before you leave um talk about you, you're super well known and just the photography I mean, your photography you take awesome pictures all around the world maybe give do you have any tips for our listeners on you know obviously you got to be that in the spot right that's probably 90 percent of it to, to make it happen I, I, yeah there's uh you know how do you take a great photo i think it's it's changing so quickly social media you're seeing a lot of great photos out there um you know the smartphones these days are taking so much better photos than you know the original phones were horrible right um you know the whole original point shoot digital cameras i mean things have come and changed so quickly um, got a couple tips I would say take lots of photos you know don't just take one of okay I got it and then you go back and look at it and uh, you know the angler's eyes were closed or you're looking at an environment where you know you just kind of blew the photo it's blurry you kind of move the camera whether it be your phone or, or, or a, a DSLR um, so take lots of them megapixels you shoot, are you free shoot from the hip you shoot from the hip a lot or no, you, no? no i mean i'll have the camera i mean a lot of times i'm boat fishing so i'll have the camera in a box around me um so i'll just pick it up and grab it when the time is right yeah uh, but for me it's like having it accessible That's and and thing. and learning when to put down the fly rod that's the hardest part right, right you're in the right. moment the fish is starting to be really good right. it's like dude look at the sky it's like all right i can take 25 seconds here <laughs> i'm gonna grab the camera i'm gonna shoot a few photos and then kind of go back to fishing because i still i mean I still struggle when the bite's great, when the topwater action is happening, when stripers are busting on uh, threadfin shad. Oh, I have, and it's really hard to put the fly rod down. <laughs> what, I struggle with it today. What's your kit? What what's you, my kit? Uh, so Body and go-to lens. Yeah, so I have a 7D Mark II. I really like that a lot. And I do a lot of boat fishing, so I like the 18, the 8 to 15 Canon fisheye. So it kind of mm -hmm. gives you a lot of room in a close environment. And then one other tip I throw out there. Use fill flash when you can. I think yeah. so many anglers, um, you see the you know the sun's right in their face and they're wearing a ball cap because we all fish with caps and all of a sudden their face goes blacked out. Throw a little fill flash in there. If you definitely. got any backlight, 
Yeah, definitely. Do you, do you ever mess with little like uh, um, secondary pieces of equipment to help with that lighting, like the, like, the reflection Reflector or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, no, I don't. I know there's some, you can tell when people do because it looks do, badass. Yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. looks like there's some really cool lighting that happens there. I'm not taking much of that with me. Um, I think what I'm doing more of lately is I, I got a drone. I'm flying the drone around. Yeah, I'm kind of awesome. addicted to the drone. What it's you, so easy DJI, right now. I assume. Yeah, I've Which got one? the new uh, the DJI Air, Mavic Air. Mavic Air, the second one that came out. Yep. Yeah. The thing is like crazy light. You They're can, packable. Yep. Um, I used to have the uh, 3DR Solo, and I had this giant backpack that I'd travel <laughs> around with, and I would, it was always so cumbersome that I'd see be that, like, oh, yeah, see look at that, that case pocket. behind oh, me? Yeah. That, yeah. Was a, that was a uh, <laughs> DJI Phantom, the original Phantom. <laughs> totally. So, you know, we're looking at it. I'm pointing at a case that's like, Two feet deep, four almost four it's, feet it's tall and three feet it's wide full on luggage. a hard yeah. plastic case. Yeah, and, and they've gone from that to like a, a circumference as big as you can make a, a hoop with your arms to something that's the size of your fist with with totally. some, a spark, with like some, the spark. DJ yeah, spark. yeah, it's crazy. And yeah. that, that happened in like three years. Totally. And the know, Mavic Air, I mean, it's smaller. it's just it's a little bit bigger than my iPhone, and then I can break it out. I can fly it anywhere. The batteries last longer. The imagery is better. It's just come yeah. so fast, so quickly, and there's so much uh, that the quality is just improving dramatically. Have, have you seen their the Pocket Osmo? No. I'll show no. it to you. You'll you'll poo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, okay, so the Instagram account, the new one you started for California. Yeah, Fish CA. So wanted to bring some content that was not like being the Sims rep out here representing Solitude Flies, Waterwork Lampson. Um, I really wanted a, a, to have a rep account that made a lot of sense, not only to the fly angler. It's not Fly Fish CA, yeah. but it's Sim CA. I mean, my largest dealer right now is a bass shop. So yeah. my business has evolved and changed, even though I love fly fishing and that's my, that's what I prefer to do. That's, that's my passion. Um, you know, the business side of me realizes that there's a lot of gear anglers out there. So, uh, Fish CA provides content for California fishing. I mean, that's what majority of my businesses is California. It's fly fishing. We're showing what's going on at Pyramid Lake, what you guys are doing on the coast. Like all that is the content that we're providing, but we're also providing content for, you know, the bass angler who's catching a, a 10 pound largemouth on the delta or fishing clear lake you know where we, we learn you, we learn a lot from those ang from those no guys, doubt no right? doubt do you take submissions from from people absolutely love uh, uh just, just dm hashtag yeah. fish ca i'll, I'll i, I see that up. all the time yeah, yeah or dm uh at fish ca anytime cool. and uh love to see content always looking for it um, and then, yeah, so it's, it's a great way to kind of speak to all anglers. Cause I think moving forward as a community, if we're segmented and fragmented where we have no we're, chance we're with We've, the, uh, the, the fisheries and the, 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 yeah. uh, challenges that face most of our fisheries. I, and if we're, you know, if we think, 100%. oh, we're the elitist fly anglers and it's all about just, you know, protecting natural habitat and we're just all about that's a mistake know, it, it, it's it's about everything man we're all together in this and there's organizations out there that are trying to suck every water every drop of water out of our rivers you know every drop of water that makes it out to the ocean is considered wastewater um there there are groups out there that think fishing is uh you know we're harming fish by putting a hook into them at any one point and that we're Fishing should be banned completely. I mean, we have forces out there that are growing in strength that are, are really pulling anglers apart. And they're, uh, the future of this sport is is about unifying together. And so that's a big part of what Fish CA is all about. That's, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, you, you have to be an advocate, you know, just more advocates, you know, on our side. And you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, really I, I, we've we've often said on the show, um, you know, the the one thing, NRA politically, I don't care where you fall left or right of that issue. Yeah, doesn't but matter. But the thing that they're doing right is, you know, if you think of all the different types of weapons that are in the NRA's, you know, umbrella, you can kind of, it's not, it's a fragmented market in terms of the the dealers and everything, but it's they're all gun owners right yep. and we need to look take that kind of viewpoint of how they see the world and unify across gear fly fishing whatever it is as anglers totally. we're, we're doing it you know like been it's, saying it on the show a lot we're, yeah. we're all coming together at a time when it needs to happen and we're making a difference yeah. you know yeah. it's it's really happening and, and right here in california and we're seeing even a hybridization of um styles right like you would never see swivels and tippet rings and all this other stuff <laughs> right. in, a, totally. in a rig back totally. in the day right so it's happening. Yeah, there's. It's what's really cool about my position is I'm able to fish with some really good gear pros. Yeah. Um, you know, sim sponsors, some of the the elite bass anglers, some of the new MLF bass anglers, and being able to spend time on the water with them. There's so much to gleam and learn that's, from both types of fishing. You know, fly fishing and from the guy that's he's got 35 rods in his boat and he never changes during a tournament. I mean, that kind of mentality. I think there's so much to learn in tactics, tactics and techniques. And we as fly anglers, I think, uh, you know, we get kind of stuck into heritage. And, and instead of looking forward 10 years, we're always kind of tend to be looking back in a lot of ways yeah, when it comes right. to, you know. Which is okay. Which is okay. Which is it's great. A, it's yeah. such Some a good people, point you know. that you make in terms of, like, go fish with a gear guy because you're going to learn. You're going to learn stuff that you didn't think about. And That's how I've learned the most. You know, if you, see a, if you see a dude with a John boat and a little kicker on it across your street, and you kind of stub your nose at him because you see him throw a tackle box and a couple <laughs> spinners, you might want to just knock on his door and say, totally. hey, dude, let's go fish sometime. Dude, they're you know? every bit as passionate as we are, if not more so. They're, yeah. they, they, you know, they lose sleep at night thinking about the same things. They're driving the same at 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, headed to their local fishery. I mean, they're yeah, they're they're just as fanatical as we are, but they just have a different rod in their hands. And if uh, like they I said, like if Coke and we like Pepsi, but we all <laughs> like cola. Totally, right? that's right. Yeah, it's one big. Uh, and if we're gonna if we're gonna win some of these battles that are facing us, I think it's really important that we're all on the same team. That's awesome. Thanks, man, for coming down and, and chatting with us. We really appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, appreciate all you guys do and uh, keep Thank up you. the good work. Thanks. Yeah. All right, man. Hey guys, uh, it's a uh, quick. Note before uh, we get to our next guest, I was just standing here at the Cast Hope uh, booth and a guy, Larry Accord, walked up and started telling me a story um, about how he's starting to re- getting ready to retire. Was a bush pilot in Alaska for a long time, did all this crazy stuff, and now he's starting to slow down, but he wants to devote the rest of his time to, to Cast Hope. He wants to do everything he can to help these kids get outside. It's pretty rad. Isn't that cool? That's yeah. awesome. Um, been pretty neat this show i've met so many cool people and just learned so much about just what people are doing for everyone around here it's just a, it's like a family you yeah know? it's been totally. a family atmosphere what um interesting thing about conferences i've done a few now just because i'm twice as old as you guys and um, <laughs> it's a conference can be a grind but when you go to a conference they're they're meant to congregate and for people to congregate and talk that you would normally wouldn't talk to so when you go to a conference, if you want to maximize your time there, you got to step out of your your comfort zone. So totally. if you don't if you yeah. don't like to talk to people, kind of like get over that and just kind yeah. of you know do break it. the seal just and go do it, do it because <laughs> I'm a I'm definitely not a Type A person at all. Um, 
I, but because we're doing this podcast, it's kind of made me step out and we just been able to talk to some really cool people. It, it opens doors to take you places that you never would have been before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's like getting in the, uh, I always like movie analogies. It's like getting in the telephone booth in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and George Carlin, God did rest his soul. Did you even see soul. that movie, Kayla? I've heard about it. <laughs> I've, I've heard Damn about it, it. Kayla. I'm, a- I'm aging myself you kids. here. <laughs> you kids. Kayla's you got to a- watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, Keanu Reeves' like breakout role. And the other guy went just death spiraled after that movie. But Keanu's... He went from Bill and Ted to compound frigging fracturing guys' arms on uh, John Wick 3 coming up. <laughs> the dude's led a full uh, life. I feel like we could have a whole episode talking about referencing movies. And maybe even, yeah, maybe even him. Anyway. Kayla. Anywho. Kayla Kiriyama. <laughs> yep. How we... How are we doing? I love that name. Such a great name. Katayama. Kayla Katayama. I Kayla know. Katayama. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, like Chad said, um, you know, we're here at the Pleasanton 2019 Fly Fishing Show. And what a great opportunity to come out and say hi to everybody, uh, meet people that you haven't met yet, and to chat with familiar faces and, you know, past clients. And it's, it's awesome. It's phenomenal to see everybody. What stood out? for you here um product or booth or something that happened is anything that yeah comes, comes so to mind? um actually i'm over i i'm working the sims booth this weekend nice. uh with john sherman yeah we just just had him on yep yep for sure and we've got a lot of really awesome products that we are showcasing for spring 2019 um that lineup uh we've got our veal camo waiters we and just went through had, had all that yeah, yeah. john a, john probably yeah. dialed you in but you know we have a lot of really awesome pieces um you know our like waiters when, when, for women we didn't talk about the that's women. what our, i was just gonna say what what stands yeah. out that's with exactly where and, i was headed oh, so, so i'll shut up <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> go totally. for it so um yeah we have a lot of really awesome women's pieces um our women's G3 waiters, they keep getting more improved and more dialed in. It seems like every single year um, in terms of functionality, technology-wise, and the overall fit, um, it's awesome. It's completely awesome to see that. And we are also showcasing a lot of new packs that are in the lineup as well. Uh, my like pers- sling and double. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. So my new favorite is the shift pack. Um, I'm not going to give too much info away How about it. How much shift can it hold? <laughs> it's it's an awesome pack for uh, backcountry, backpacking, um, even guiding as well, doing walk and wade trips. And, uh, yeah, no, come come by the booth, check it out. Check it out online. It's going to be, I believe it's going to be launching uh, sometime in March is when the spring lineup usually, usually launches. So, um, yeah, a lot of awesome stuff coming out. And I think the mo- the coolest part about the show and getting together is what I said, you know, getting to uh, see old friends, meet new people. and uh, We're all pretty busy, huh? Trying to totally. get some, th- this many people together in one room, you know. This is like one of the rare times all the people in the industry get to go see each other. Yep. Too. They all want to fish together and they can't. And yeah. This is kind of like the It's second. a good thing that the coast is blown out. That's all i got to say. <laughs> right. Totally. We may have not been here, seriously. <laughs> then everyone winds up here, right, when the coast is blown. So, yeah, no, totally. There's there's a lot of awesome products coming out. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, you know, it seems like that line year after year just 
gets bigger for that cat either one the women's category totally yeah yep awesome and cool. yeah we have a lot of really cool you know women's like solar flex pieces uh new patterns that are going to be launching this spring and uh i mean it's really it's it's overwhelming to talk about just a few things because everything in the lineup is so fantastic and it's so improved and dialed in uh like i said not just for the fit but uh tech technology wise as well so it just keeps getting better and better and better and uh for women specifically there's just more and more options and it's it's incredibly awesome and fantastic very cool yep so uh what's how's school are you done <laughs> are so you done what's I, going on i'm i'm not done i am in a uh teaching grad program at chico state i'm teaching fourth through sixth grade currently at a uh, community school at the fairgrounds called Step Up Academy in Chico. Whoa. And um, it's, it's I awesome. I haven't heard of this. I know. So I got placed there, and I hadn't heard of the school either. And, um, you know, it's, it's a community school. I have about 10 kids in my classroom. And um, they're all from fourth to sixth grade, fourth through sixth grade. And wow. these are these are kids. Um, I have some kids that have come from the Paradise Fire. Right. And I have some kids that are in foster care. I have some kids that are even homeless wow. um, and that have just gone through some very drastic, very traumatic things at an early time in their lives. And. For me, I see it as a perfect opportunity to work with them in the classroom and build an awesome relationship with them and to create an environment and a time in their day where they can come and have fun and they can learn and they can feel safe. And yeah, it's it's kind of similar to uh, to guiding in a sense. They're extremely That's lucky cool. to have you, a fly fishing you, guide, as you. their teacher. How cool is that? <laughs> You're about I know. to change some lives. <laughs> you, you got my cousins on to some fish, so that you had my my undying loyalty at that when that day came. That was a really fun day. Yeah. Yep, Lower Sacramento, yep. fishing with Chad and his family. <laughs> yeah. No, that was rad. That was uh, super cool. Where have you been fishing lately? You know, lately um, I haven't been I haven't been out to the coast this year, unfortunately. Uh, lately, I've been guiding a lot on the Lower Sac and the Feather River. Um, the Lower Sac, this is the time of year, you know, it's the temperature is going to start warming up, bugs are going to start popping off, um, and fish are going to go berserk in conjunction with that. So the best time to get out, uh, in my opinion, is uh, March on warm, sunny days, April and May for sure. That's when it's going to be in its prime. So Do you, do you transition once uh, trout season starts? to somewhere different um i i will be at the clearwater lodge okay. i was there uh last trout season and i will be there this upcoming trout season as well um and so that's going to cover your uh fall river your mcleod your pit river burning creek hat creek uh bomb lake all those awesome fisheries we just we just had michelle on yeah, and she we, talked a lot about acquainted. it good good she's, she's really cool <laughs> she's awesome to, what She's stands out to you about that lodge and her, I guess, her taking over to you? Right. What, what stands out? I mean, it's, it's I always been a, a great, I have a question. It's always been a great lodge, but right. um, so, they seem to do it right. Yeah. There. So to answer that, um, it, it not only is it some of the best fishing that California has to offer um, as far as trout fishing goes, but the lodge itself, she is a phenomenal host. 
um, and all of the other guides, including myself as well. Everything is so inclusive. You know, not only do we take our clients out fishing, but at the end of the day, we bring them back and we have dinner with them. Yeah. And um, it's it's all everything is family style. It's all inclusive. That's Everybody cool. is welcome to hang out, party, go fishing. Um, you know, sit and chat and that kind of inclusiveness is it's incredible and that's really what brings people together. So whether you go to the lodge and you're by yourself or you bring your entire family, um, there's something fun for everybody to do. And she, she told me when you when you started uh-huh. that the, <laughs> oh, no. the, the guide the guide shack got a lot cleaner. Oh, I know. That's, that's what it, she says. What's apparently. it like bunking with dudes? A bunch of dudes. Honestly, I work with some of the most incredible, incredible people, incredible guys I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh, you know, I, I think I showed up and we clicked and I fit right in. And I have an awesome time. You know, the the guide uh, the guide house is fantastic. We've got a ping pong table. What? And she didn't tell me that. I oh, wanna, dude. Are you got, kidding me? <laughs> I, I need to reassess my <laughs> Holy cow. We've got some pretty awesome, you know, late night ping pong uh, tournaments. Uh, and I'm taking that It gets on pretty this. heated. <laughs> but, no, some of, some of my favorite, most fun memories have actually come from that lodge and, you know, have, have included those, those guys and, and Michelle. So it's, That's cool. I'm incredibly beyond stoked to be a part of the team. Do you, do you find yourself wearing different hats? You talked about having to sit down, not having to, but probably enjoying uh-huh. sitting down with all these different people. Do you find yourself wearing different hats to like accommodate all these different people? No, or is it always, no, is it pretty, I, <laughs> is it pretty chill? Is it pretty like, no, no, it's, it's really chill. Um, you know, I, I, just I guess I kind of just wear whatever yeah. I want and yeah. you know I've, I've always been team sims and I think that's how it's always gonna be so <laughs> but um but yeah I mean yeah the lodge is absolutely phenomenal so if you haven't gotten a chance to get up there and fish some of those fisheries and get to know some of the the clear water lodge crew you're missing out so definitely get on Very that cool. <laughs> and that's perfect timing because we just got the equivalent of last call for alcohol at the show they're shutting oh, it down we better like get, right now we better get running really <laughs> yeah i think we got to come for a third day like a half or i'm thinking <laughs> you, if, if the rivers weren't blown i'd say let's bounce but i think we're gonna need a third day i don't know i kind of miss totally. my son man Oh, there's kinda, that. Kinda, I, I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> I got a dog. It's different right. reality for me. Your dog's like your kid. <laughs> my dog's yeah. my kid. <laughs> he is my kid. I mean, I, I got no... He's my no, fur uh, baby. Yeah. There's no... Yeah. Well, cool. Um, awesome. All right. So social media, how do people... Can, Social media, um, you can find me on Instagram under Kayla Katayama or Her Waters Fly Fishing. Um, you can find me on Facebook under Kayla Katayama or Her Waters Fly Fishing. And I have a website, herwatersflyfishing.com. Feel free to check it out. I like and that name, by can, the way. Can you, Thank um, you. Can you slow spell your name? My name, name? Is, <laughs> my name is Kayla, K-A-Y-L-A. And my last name is Katayama, K-A-T-A-Y-A-M-A. Boom. Nice. A lot of A's. <laughs> Let's, I want to go bone fishing with you in Hawaii or Let's Kauai. do it. We'll tear it up. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. It's been a pleasure as always. It's it's an honor. We'll see you at the Cast Hope event tonight. Sounds good. Cool. All righty. I think that was the appropriate sound to play for our next guest. We got Matt Coles with Gilligan's Guide Service on. Matt, what's up, dude? How you guys doing? I'm good. Pleasure to be here. You're you're, uh, 
I, I kind of have an Instagram crush on you because everything you post, dude, is just the stuff that I pursue, uh, that, that I try to catch. So He's stalking you. Just browns that are ridiculous. And, and you're on... Uh, what, you what? haven't even seen that shit we lost, man. Like, those oh, are just God. the pictures we post. So. Dude, I know. And then... I mean, uh, and you're in those the are the ones you remember, too, right? You don't Always, remember the ones like, you catch. You, I shouldn't even be cussing, huh? It's all right. We'll, we got it. We'll put an explicit on this one. Thanks, man. You just Earmuffs. killed our, our Middle Eastern market, but that's all right. <laughs> um, so... We've talked about the, the for the listener. We've talked about the Truckee watershed quite a bit with Jordan Romney, uh, Matt Matt Heron, uh, Mike Anderson, and we focused a lot on uh, I would say everything from like Tahoe all the way down to uh, Hirschdale. Basically, when it starts to make the bend and shoot down in the canyon, we've covered a lot of that up to I'd say the border. But Matt, you focus on a part of the Truckee that we actually haven't talked about, and what is that? Hi. Uh, I fish uh, and got a lot down east of Reno, so that would be, uh, you know, Reno Sparks. You know, the Truckee flows obviously through Reno, and then um, actually after it goes past Sparks a few miles, it uh, becomes a viable trout fishery again. You know, so it uh, basically starts at Lockwood right there. It was just a few miles uh, east of Sparks, and goes down about 15 miles of really good, really good trout fishing. It uh, is actually called the Nature Conservancy because they came in about 15 years ago and they bought all the old ranches down there and um, they spent about 30 million dollars to uh to restore the lower river down there and so essentially in the 60s they channelized the river for uh for flood control but it, it didn't work it it made you know it mother nature batted last yeah and so <laughs> conservancy wanted to come in and 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 you know, reestablish the the meanders and the curves and the and the banks in the river like it was prior to what they did. And um, man, it's 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 the real deal down there, you know. Um, and probably doesn't get as much pressure either. It doesn't. I mean, there's some access points there that do at times. You mm-hmm. know, there's a big there's a there's a lot of people in Reno that fish. You know, and right. uh, so we'll get you know you'll see some people out there at places, but you know it's a uh, kind of weird the way the river is down there man some of those banks it's hard to access hard to get it's hard to do it unless you got a boat you know like a raft and uh, so that's that's what i like to do you know to do i like to go down there and fish streamers on those banks and, you so know, you just kind of shoot down the middle and hit the banks with the streamers. yeah yeah most of the time man i mean i don't even really nymph that shit anymore hardly you know i just do that's like awesome. streamer only Dope. streamer only trips guys dries as well yeah i mean like it's, it's once in a while seasonal. like this is the time of year actually like you know kind of late winter early spring where i'll drink a dry fly rod you know and you know if, if we ain't doing shit on the streamers you know you can probably pick a couple off a couple of little browns off the banks you know yeah yeah with some blue wing olives and so shit like that yeah. with uh with streamers color wise if you had to rank white black mm-hmm. brown olive what order would you rank them in Depends where I'm at. If I'm in California, I'm gonna fish something that looks like a sculpin, uh, any kind of sculpin. You see if how I'm, he didn't answer my question? Uh, yeah, you know the, the color question. There's a lot of there's a lot of young guys out there, you know, trying to get up on it now. So <laughs> if I'm down you. in Nevada, it's probably gonna be mostly a crayfish or bait fish type of pattern. Right. A lot yeah. of cra- a lot of crawdads in that. In a lot of stream. crawdads. A lot of mud bugs. The down dogs. There. 
Yeah, I know fish various. eat them. They, they eat them. They eat them crayfish. And, they, they, and do they, it's, is it smolt or what's their transformation that they do? And is it like during the summer? They'll molt, molt but they molt. Uh, molt yeah, molt. man, they molt mostly. Well, they molt in the summertime for sure. Uh, July, August type of time, but they'll molt yeah. about four times a year. So oh. they're available year-round oh, fish. Whoa. Okay. They don't just molt once, you know. They're molting all, yeah. molting all the time. Why is that July, August kind of like the the pocket for the molting season? Is it? I guess they get the water gets warm. I, I guess and they it, get kind of gushy. Yeah, they yeah. just shed that skin. I guess a lot when that water gets to a certain temperature. Um, but man, they're available year-round cool. fish, you know. Okay. Chad, yeah, Chad, Chad and I were floating down one time, and he's you know high stick kind of nymphing, and I'm like, here, throw this crawdad pad around. And he's like, what? You know. Like, you mean strip it? I'm like, no, just just dead, dead drift, drift it out there. <laughs> yeah, I like mean the one... dead drift shit works really well. You know, they they'll eat it either way. I mean, they swim really fast and really good crayfish. You know. Yeah. Um, I think a good good crayfish type of pattern if you're nymphing is something like Duggo's uh, Stone Daddy. You know, something that doesn't have big claws on it. Something okay. that sinks okay. well and something that's really not all that big actually. You know? Right, right. Um, I think people go way too big with the crayfish and they put these big old bunny claws on them and shit, you know, and you know, they they'll eat those for sure, you know. Absolutely. But an old timer told me one time he's like, Hey, those those cra- crawdads are, are soft when they're little, you know, they they have a much softer shell and the fish know that, you know. And oh like, yeah. And that's what they favor. They want to they want those little guys that are coming down. Yeah, down I mean the, the whole, the, every part of that crayfish when they molt, the claws, everything are all soft, you know. Really? Yeah. yeah. So they're gooey and Ooh. just a big old protein Ooh. meal, you know. Like, <laughs> little, it's a little hot pocket down, yeah. down, down, down the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. That sounds awesome. I just casting streamers to a bank going down a river. I mean, I, it gets, it's the real deal. It man. is. Like, it really is. Tug, it's like it's so fun. You know. It's that's fly fishing, man. You know that's the best. Yeah. I think that's the best grab you can get on a fly rod, even better than a dry fly. Oh yeah, grab. You I was know? just gonna say that. Yep. Um, just move a big brown off that bank, you know, and he eats it. That's the cool thing is the that's visual. The if you can keep your eye on that streamer and see something come up and yeah. take it, you know, it's just as cool as watching a fish rise on a dry. If not, it is, if man. Not better. It's, it's it's yep. It's the real deal. Dude, or you know? or <laughs> even if they if they don't. It. They just come up and look at it. Yeah, you know, just you move there, that giant. You don't yeah. see anything, and then all of a sudden, there's this big shadow that's yeah. the size of your arm that comes yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty oh, cool. Boy. It's a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. yeah uh, so, do you tie a lot of your own flies for for your when you're per, for your personal arsenal? A hundred percent. I don't fish anything that's store bought. You know, uh, my flies are really simple. So, like two, three step flies. The guide, um, the, the quintessential guide Super, fly. super simple. Yeah. And, uh, you know, usually all my nymphs have a bead on them or some kind of flash. And uh, my streamers are all 100% tied on J hooks. And, you know, so. That's the on way to J-Hooks. go. Huh? Okay. Yeah. 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 Floating line. I fish a floating line and a heavy fly as opposed to a sinking line and a light fly. Really? No, 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 no sink leaders. Yeah, no, sink. No, no sink tips. No. Like that that makes sense. If you're getting edgy on the banks, you, you yeah. probably don't need to be down too deep. Yeah. Well, and sp- yeah. for a spook factor too, I, I've I've always kind of liked that. Well, you know, it's a, know. you know a streamer. It's not necessarily a lot of times on a streamer. The, the color of the streamer itself is the way the streamer moves. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So a lot of guys that are, are in the streamer fishing will fish colors that they can see, like yellow and white. Yeah. Just because they want to visually see what their fly is doing. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, 
so I do fish a lot of bright flies just to see what it's doing. Um, when I make a fly, you know, and I articulate articulate my jigs so that they swim side to side, you know, so they look oh, like yeah, it yeah. looks like it's injured, and that's boom. That's what grabs them, you know. That's what that's, the, that's what gets their attention. The trigger with that's, that's been yeah. coming up. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's you know, it's cool. the movement of the streamer, you know, right? Not necessarily the color of the streamer itself. There's a, a there's a sexual reference there. I'm trying to think of one, but I can't. <laughs> I'll let it go, guys. I had it and it went away. Yeah. Um, well, cool. So, how can people book you? Like, do you do walk and wade trips also, or is it? You yeah, man, I do. And uh, most time in the summer, I'm walking and wading, you know, and I'm fishing in California, actually, right around, yeah. you know, wherever, probably below Hurstdale usually. You know, those fish, those fish are in the pocket water, and we'll we'll tight line them and shit. You know, yeah, really makes no. It's really not any better on the boat, you know. So, but in the winter, like spring, winter, fall, down through there, down through the conservancy, then I'm pretty much now 98 percent of the time I'm on the raft, you know. Right. Because if you want to streamer fish, it's it's just the best way to do it. Are you your know? techniques going to change with this high water we're going to have this year? Is it going to is it going to mess up the fishing, or is it going to help help it? Well, you know, it usually makes it easier for people. Uh, you know, simply the fact that if you can find some soft water on the edges, you're usually going to catch some fish. Yeah. The truck is notoriously hard, but when the water's high, sometimes it can be notoriously easy, you know. Because that's where they go. They have yeah, so if you could go. just find a little soft spot, usually everybody's piled up right behind my house there in Hirschdale, you know. <laughs> There's like 20 guys and like 50 people, and they're like, yeah, I just caught five fish here. <laughs> and then they come back in August and, you know, it's just, they're nothing, you know. But um, uh, it'll probably be good, man. It'll probably be good this spring, even when the water's high. You just have to find some spots, right? And that's that'll be the hardest part. And, and it, it sounds like you spend uh, a lot of time rowing in a raft. What do you rock raft-wise? Because Nick and I have been talking, skirting, you know, playing yeah. with the idea of getting a raft. Like, what do you row and what I do like you like a, and dislike? My favorite, about it? man. I've had about five different rafts. The, this is the Maybe right six. guy to ask this question then. And um, you know, I've had that NRS inflatable drift boat. I've mm -hmm. had a stealth craft raft i've had my favorite one is the air or the nrs 13 foot you know it's a super duper puma yep um and uh super puma is that how that's super puma <laughs> not and it's an either. nrs frame then too. you put an nrs frame on it and uh the raft yeah, not the pontoons not the, the raft it's a, yeah. the 13 footer is good for the trucky because it, the water can get skinny you know right um, it's, you know, in the winter, it can be pretty skinny if we don't have any rain, and, and uh, you know, the fall can be pretty skinny. So I just like that raft because it's really light, too. You know, two guys can uh, can portage it. You know, there's no put-ins, really, or takeouts. Right, right. So you got to drag that So, yeah, you got to, like, two guys can do it, you know, especially if you take off the frame. You can mount that thing up and put it anywhere. You know, it's not, my boat's probably, like, a hundred. 70 75 pounds with the frame on it you know so it's nothing to it and you know? the the nrs frame is you know i we walked around the the show here and looked at a lot of the different frame manufacturers they have breakdown frames they have yeah. solid frames the thing i like about the uh the nrs frame just i haven't i have no practical knowledge but or you know yeah. on the water knowledge but they just look beefy and i like the u-bolt they're good frames you can uh, and you can you can you know you can fuck with them you can move them all around yeah super because it's like bolted together you know 
I had my choice, I would actually want a one piece frame, you know, because I just leave my shit on the trailer and it's just sitting in the garage. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I do the last half. Of, if you know, the, really the best guy that making frames out there is a guy named Montana Raft Frames, and uh, he's he built he built me my anchor system on my raft so that the rope goes through the frame. Yeah, I've you seen know? those. Yeah. And he he's a really yeah he's if, if I you know. If I could go up and pick it up in Montana, I'd have him build me one piece frame, you know, with no no bolts on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. What yeah. do you like what do you like about the raft? Like so I have been a pontoon guy, you know, cataracts. Um have you rode many of those? Like, yeah, like I a had two a, or a three man? For a while there I had a uh, I had like a uh, I think it was the pack twelve hundred or yep. something like that. Yep, yeah, I had that remote. You know? Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. That's a good little boat yeah. to uh for two guys and it's light. Right. You can move that thing anywhere. You can Barney rubble it. You know, you can get out and yeah, that's put your feet around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love that. It's, uh, it was, that's a cool boat. I mean, I wouldn't have mine having two or three boats, but, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. my wife wouldn't let me. So <laughs> just the, that Super Puma, man, is just a good kind of small, light boat. Uh, and I don't have any, I don't have the fishing floors in it. You know, I don't have any of that shit in it, you know. So no it's studs just, in your boat. No studs in it. But you keep yeah. it a lot lighter with all that crap in it, yeah. you know. And there's less yeah. things for the lines to get pinched in. Good call, you know. Good um, call. And people can stand up just fine in it, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that NR. I, and a lot of people like the NRS Otter 13 footers. You know, I got friends that got those. Uh, I like my I like my Air. They got great customer service, man. You know, like really? you put a knife through it, like you could just go stick it and they'd be like okay send it back we'll fix it for free you know yeah yeah um another good boat out there man that are really really badass boats are the sotars that are made in oregon you know is that the one that has that like shark skin material on uh, it i don't know if it's shark skin but they they make they have a really killer uh, i don't know what the hell they're using actually but That's, they have a they have a boat called a blackfoot strike it's 13 and a half feet which is a really but it's like you know six grand it's, it's an expensive wow. raft yeah you know, whereas like an air's like 3500 bucks so uh, and great customer service man you know I've, I've actually had to send my boat back a couple times and they're like they fix it for free and, and your boat's a three-man yeah yeah three-man is there a casting brace in the back as well i got cat i just have casting braces on it that's it but not not the floors you know right and, and uh, i've seen airs are the uh the nrs casting braces they've got ones that go completely around and then they got ones that kind of stop three quarters away yeah, yeah, Which get the one that go all the way around. Yeah, I bolts think. on both sides, but especially for a big guy like you, dude, you'll, <laughs> yeah, fucking, yeah. you'll go ass over fucking teacups yeah. in that thing, you yeah. know. And then just get the basic one on the back, and you'll be good to go. That's the, also I, I like that idea them, because I'll always be in the front of the boat too. Yeah, you can all, hey, I got to be in put, the front of the boat. Put the, the shitty, guy. the shitty brace. And that's in the, back. the thing, you know, you're a big dude. You won't be sitting in the back. I right. think I'll be like, you know, you got to be in the front of the boat too all the time. <laughs> That's, That's a good sound funny. effect. Yeah. Record that that last one. <laughs> yeah, I can sample that. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Matt. Um, yeah. Did we go over? Let, let's wrap it up with your your website. Uh, stuff Gilligan's again. Uh, Gilligan's Guide Service, man. Anybody? That's awesome. I love that Gilligan's name. Gilligan's Guide. Yeah, it's yeah. a stupid nickname, oh, but uh, how did easy. I was going to ask you how did how yeah, did that, I think it that started nickname. like when I first moved to Truckee, and I was about eighteen or nineteen or something. But uh, and you know, I grew up in Roseville there and moved to Truckee, and it's just we had a. <laughs> I was wearing a Gilligan hat a lot, you know, and I look just like him too. And so, but he's like, "Man, you're Gilligan." And 
It just stuck. And like people don't even know my real name, you know? I'm like, no, my name's Matt. But so when I went to God, I was like, fuck, man, people are going to be able to remember Gilligan super easy. Like, you yeah. know, if you have a great trip or a really shitty trip, you're going to remember Gilligan. You either, know? So, yeah. either way, either it's a win win. Yeah. I have a, you know? a hard time thinking that somebody's going to have a bad trip <laughs> out there with you no, on the There's water. probably been people, you know, like, you never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Matt, for coming, yeah, man, coming on the show. It's great to meet you guys. It's yeah, and your cool. your Instagram is Gilligan's Guide uh, Gilligan's Guide Service. Yeah, you guys should follow him if you yeah. don't. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's cool, man. Matt, thanks for having me. For sure, awesome. Hey guys, we have uh, Megan Barker here with uh, TU Alaska. Megan, how's it going? Good. Thanks for stopping by our booth to talk with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. What are, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Save Bristol Bay, No Pebble Mine, and the proposal that has come back from the grave. Yeah, so, excuse, I want to cuss about this right now, kind of, <laughs> but like, what, what, what are they thinking? Like, what are they, th that's one of the, the, the best, one of the best bays in that area, right? That, uh, Absolutely. So Bristol Bay is one of the most pristine fisheries, um, most right. productive salmon fisheries in the in, world. In the world, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it produces over 50% of the sockeye salmon for the world. And wow. um, Bristol Bay continues to reign as a world-class sport fishing location, massive commercial fishery, and a place where thousands of native Alaskan subsistence and, fish. And the idea is that they want to, there's, there's a few companies that want to put a, uh, a mine it's a pebble mine, is that right? So it's a copper and gold mine. Pebble is just the name of oh, the company. See? But no, that's us a, in California. <laughs> that's, that's what so many people ask me. So that's a great question. So kind mining of a, pebbles of some sort. Not no. quite, not quite. If uh, if only. What, so what what type of mine is that? Because I is is it one where it's dug into the side of a hill, or is it one of those big? deep pit mines that have like the spiraling uh you know track down to the bottom yep so it's an open pit so basically okay. a giant hole and for this proposal as it would be the largest open pit mine in the world it'd be a mile wide and a quarter mile deep um, just for the pit itself where they would be extracting all of that rock it's really low grade ore so we're talking there's a ton of waste rock for how like a very small amount of copper and gold that we're actually getting out of the deposit. Not to mention the impact of all that, whatever is going to go around outside that mine. Yeah, what, yeah what's the, um, you know, the biological opinion of the, the folks that, that live in that region that deal with that type of stuff? What do they think the uh, impact to the, the ecosystem would be? So many years ago, the EPA um, conducted multiple years of scientific review of this area, working with um, local knowledge, but then also a uh, peer-reviewed science team, and they found that a mine of any size, even if there was no catastrophic spill or major accident in Bristol Bay, would completely devastate the fishery. So while we are very concerned about a spill or a, a major accident happening with the tailings or the wastewater that comes from this operation, just building the mine itself would completely devastate this fishery and the resources that are supported by it. Okay, and then, so where do things stand today? What's the what's the status? So today in 2019, we are um, kind of reaching the peak of, of this campaign. So the Army Corps is currently reviewing the key federal permit that they need in order to start digging in Bristol Bay. And normally for a project of this size, it would take four to six years to review a a proposal for this for this permit but instead the army corps has rolled out a fast-tracked and unprecedented permit review process of two years so we are in that today on wednesday the army corps released their draft environmental impact statement where they have supposedly gone through and 
outlined all of the potential risks and benefits to the environment, the economy, and the people in this region. We are still reviewing that document. It's over 1,500 pages, and so Trout Unlimited is about to release our press statement basically with um, our response and uh, how we feel that the environment has been studied appropriately. But then the release of the draft impact statement always is followed by a comment period. So um, starting March 1st, which is next Friday, I believe, mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a 90-day comment period where people across the country can tell the Army Corps their opinion, that, or that the, mainly that they oppose the Pebble Mine. And this is going to be our last opportunity to do this before the Army Corps makes a decision about this permit. So. I'm going to ask the obvious question, what can our listeners do to support you? Yeah, so the number one thing that we need people to do uh, this year is to comment when that period opens. So um, we, if folks are here at the show, um, I have a, a booth and we're filling out physical comment cards, but then for our other listeners, they can go to www.savebristolbay.org hit the button that says take action and that automatically links them to our uh, comment card. It takes 30 seconds to submit your information and to stand with Bristol Bay and uh, stop the pebble mine. So you, you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you, maybe you did mention this, but what are the locals and uh, what do they think about all this? Yeah, so locals, um, specifically in Bristol Bay, yeah. are um, nearly unanimously opposed to Pebble Mine. Uh, at first, there or a couple years ago, there was definitely that split of the the jobs versus right. the traditional culture of subsistence. And now, because of changes that have happened, um, or that Pebble has changed the proposal, they've all together said, you know what, we are not going to entertain this. Uh, Pebble Mine is the wrong mine for Bristol Bay. It sounds so, like they've gotten aggressive in that. Locals are like, no. Absolutely. No. I mean, the locals have been offered a lot of a lot of money, a sure. lot of pretty sweet deals, and they have collectively said that this would completely devastate hundreds of years of tradition. And we're talking 50% of their protein intake comes from salmon. That goes away. There's nothing else. This is Western Alaska. There are no grocery stores. You can't just easily go to the store and get something else. So um, overwhelming in the region, you have huge opposition. And right. then across Alaska at large, you also have overwhelming opposition. And that is particularly important to consider when you think about Alaska. It's a pro-extraction state built on oil and gas. For the first time, you have people saying, we're not opposed to all mining altogether, but mining in Bristol Bay is a non-negotiable. We don't want it to happen. It's uh, it's interesting that you say, you know, it sounds like most of the, the locals that, that are going to be directly impacted by it don't want it but you said that there was an unprecedented uh, speed in which this thing was 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 fast tracked. Yep. Um, why is that? It's it's a little counterintuitive, right? Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, with this whole process, we've been fighting it for almost 15 years yeah. and plus some. There's a lot of shady politics that are going on behind it, and the only reason that it has made it as far as it is is because of the politics and the people who have a personal invested stake in this issue who are making it go forward. So you have the Army Corps and the uh, mining company, Northern Dynasty Minerals, who are very clearly acting uh, in a way that is pushing this forward. The fact that there's this much opposition, this should have been shot down years ago, and we are still fighting it because key players are pushing it forward. Wow. I think that, um, you know, uh, George had said it best. If you are a fisherman and, and you fish, 
you have to give back in some way. And, and I, when I think about this, I, I, I've never been to Alaska, unfortunately. That's the thing I need to get up there and do. But the further you go north, the, I feel like the more you go back in time on how fisheries used to be, especially in California. So if you're listening to this, you have to take action and, and give back by going online, making your statement, because that's that's what imagine what fishing california was like you know a hundred years ago right that's what it's like up there and and we can't have that go backwards right by by any means so and and one more time what's the website so that they can do this yeah savebristolbay.org and then um take action button yeah okay and then um you guys have a local tu chapter there alaska or is it the entire state so um, we so i work for the national program we have a whole program that's uh, specifically works on issues related to bristol bay uh kenai peninsula south central and then southeast alaska with the tongas forest so you guys basically you guys handle the tent pole issues that are national you know of national stature you could say yeah and then there's the local chapters deal with you know their local watersheds that's absolutely and and our local chapters i mean the volunteers that are helping us raise awareness and work on this issue are the ones that are making this happen so a huge thank you to our supporters and our our local tu chapters because they're the ones that are helping spread the word and that's what we need well thank you for coming on and and joining us we're we're definitely going to help you spread the word and and do our part and hey what's the just as a sidebar what's uh what's your hat all about yeah so (laughs) salmon (laughs) Salmon sisters wild alaska yeah so i'm wearing a hat that says salmon sisters um and they uh, the salmon sisters are a a company based in homer alaska they're made out of two sisters who are commercial fishermen they in the summertime they fish out of prince william sound and bristol bay and then in the wintertime they run their apparel company and they're a very philanthropic uh company they give one can of wild Alaska salmon to the Alaska Food Bank for every purchase or item that is sold. And they just have really awesome stuff that that supports and gives back. The hat that I'm wearing specifically, they are sponsors for the Save Bristol Bay campaign and Trout Unlimited. So they give back a percentage of uh, the money that they raise or that they get from this. So they may, they may be a good um, reference for like anyone thinking about running a socially responsible co- company, you could say. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Were they? Uh, did they? Were they marketing the Surface Pro? Was that? They them? were. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's the oh, okay. I've and seen the, them on and TV. the two girls oh, that are yeah. on there, Claire in and the, Emma. Uh, that's yep. them in the, in the hip boots. Those are those gotcha. are the sisters. Yeah. Gotcha. So Very and cool. I was living. I in wonder a, if they talk to us lowly animals. I bet they would. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. I was living in Homer last year, and it, they're like local celebrities just because they do really cool stuff. Okay. And What's up with Homer? Cool. Every I, I've. So little old Chico, we I've talked the people that I've talked to that moved from Alaska, every single one of them. There's like five. They all came from Homer. Yeah, Homer is one of those funky places. We call it the cosmic ha- hamlet by the sea. It's <laughs> incredibly beautiful. You're at the yeah. end of the road. You feel like you're at the end of the world and wow. um, great fishing opportunities. And it's just a, it's one of those places that if you go to Alaska, you should make your way down to Homer because it's a good place. That's so, awesome. very cool. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. One more one more time on the website. SaveBristolBay.org. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, for Megan. Awesome. Thank Appreciate you, guys. It. Hey, we got another guest with us. We got Michelle Titus, owner of Clearwater Lodge. Hi there. Hey, you Michelle. Guys are, you guys are north of Chico, yeah? We're north of Chico. We're east of Redding. So an hour, just a bit over an hour how, east of Redding. How close to, say, like Bernie are you? 15 minutes. So that's pretty close. Yeah, really close. 
Okay, so we, we were talking before the podcast about your background, and I was like, we need to be recording this. So can you kind of give the listener uh, an idea of how you landed at Clearwater? Because you're a fairly new owner to the, the lodge, yeah? It's been six years, almost at my six-year anniversary. We're going into our seventh year. Congratulations. Um, season, or seventh season. And how did you, uh, how did it land? And Nick, how did you put it? When we were before we hit record, you said how did how did you, how did you land in, into the Clearwater Lodge or something? Yeah, like that? no, yeah. Uh, it just, I think it's a cool story. Um, I jumped off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you lit- exactly yeah, literally. Exactly what I did. So, um, snow ski trip with my daughter up in South Lake Tahoe, and we were staying at a great little bed and breakfast where people treated their clients really nicely. We got to bring our dog. We ate together and drank together. And uh, as I was leaving there. January 15th of 2013, I looked at her and said, why aren't I doing this? And I had always had a little um, affinity for guest lodges and um, all-inclusive resorts. And so I hired a broker looking for a dude ranch. I really thought I wanted horses and I wanted that lifestyle. And after looking at some places far away, realized I wanted to be in California. And he happened to have this listing for Clearwater Lodge, which didn't appeal to me. I didn't know anything about fly fishing. I had never fly fished. I was a spinner, gear, whatever, fisherman my whole life with my family. Fisherwoman. Yeah. Fisherwoman. Yeah. That, you know, the, how they call anglers in fly fishing right. or angler. Yep. I yeah. call we us ha- anglets. We, we so anglets. I call females I like anglets. Yeah. And it really, hasn't taken over. Maybe you guys I like that. can it's make really that good. happen. Fly fishermen, like, we like to rebrand stuff because we call, you know, bobbers or indicators. Right. And, you know. Right. No, but anglet. So maybe that. you can get I this like term anglets. to hang on. So I'm an anglet. <laughs> we're spawning anglets. Anyway, um, uh, my daughter po- Raquel and I came up and looked at Clearwater, and she looked at me and she said, "I'll do it, Mom. Let's go." And so that we, was and that was when. Um, that was the end of January, and 2013. We, 2013, and, and we went into escrow February, closed escrow. I went back to the Bay Area, sold my home. Closed escrow March 30th, moved up to the lodge on April 8th. That was an existing fly fishing business, the Clearwater name. Yeah, right before, been right before Trout Opener. Your, your right. story's like, did you ever watch the Beverly Hillbillies growing up oh, as a kid? Oh, I rescued it's, two horses and named them Jethro and Ellie Mae. Yeah, and, and your guys' story. story is kind of like you just start <laughs> the end of the Hillbillies, but you rewind it in slow motion. <laughs> and that's you, right? It's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah we cool. opened up on that's April 23rd. Cool. So wow. I lived there for 15 days before. Me And there were started. guests that had been booked through the prior owner. Um, opening week, I was pretty smart. I invited uh, some friends that were fly fishermen that traveled all over the world. And so I had five guys come to test the lodge and me. Right, I, right. I had no idea what I kind was doing. Kind of the dry run. Right. But we had inherited a great guide staff. I inherited a great chef. So the pieces were all there. The lodge yeah. itself had kind of been ignored and run into the ground. That business wasn't as well um, established and probably the reputation had been drugged Too, through well, the I'm dirt sure 2008 kind of hurt a little bit you know a lot of people stopped doing some things like that yeah. you know and the economy did turn around drastically it did and, take a turn yeah. and I think ha- there was an owner that wasn't as present and involved and mm-hmm. so that's tough when you're running a, it's a small business but um, how exciting out a way to make it work yeah, and, what, yeah. what would that's you exciting. think is like your you know you, you've been there how long now six this is my seventh season, seventh six season. calendar years. So in the yeah. first like two seasons, what was your huh. biggest challenge? 
Oh man, I had a well go dry. Oh, um, in a in July. It's ironic you run a a, a fishing spot and there's no, no water. water. Yeah, and that was um, I was down at a horse with my horse that was in surgery. My daughter called and said, "We have no water. Can't we have water? We have nineteen thousand gallons in storage. We pump from a well up the hill." Drive up, drive up the hill and check the tanks. Two minutes later, yeah, we have no water. Like, oh, okay, well, I'll head home and try and figure that out. And thankfully, when you live in a small community, and the one thing I've learned and that I value so much being where I am, you know, living in the Bay Area where you have access to everything you think, you don't have access to maybe trades and professionals because they're so busy and they're getting drug in so many directions. And maybe don't have uh, a mindset of we got to go help whoever we have to help. Um, so I pick up the phone. I had a cell phone number of this guy Richard Hathaway at Packway, which is a company that hauls dirt, and they happen to have the only potable water. It's a Saturday, and he said, "Oh my gosh, where are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm in Reading. I'm heading back up to the lodge." He said, "It's going to take me 45 minutes to get a truck, fill it up. I'll meet you there in an hour." He showed up, he brought a motor, he plugged it into the pump truck, tied it into my lodge. Just um, MacGyvered it, basically. Oh, wow. and made it work. And we ran off this water truck for four or five days until wow. I could sink another pump in a second well. And oh, you had a drill? Refresh. No, there was a second well that had been drilled by okay. the previous owner that they didn't put a pump in. Oh, okay. So I added That's a huge. pump into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was small, but but we found a way, and I came up with a system so we could monitor it, and we could run a smaller pump consistently, the larger pump, give it a break, figure out some ways of putting a monitoring system. So, and it, But it, that was scary. And how do you... You can't run a lodge without water. Yeah. <laughs> what in the world? But this in this small community, somebody shows up and helps, and they mm-hmm. didn't blink. And the guy who's very devout, the next day, Sunday... That's his church day with his family. He called me at 11, go check. What's the t- truck say? Do I need to come help you? Um, that that community spirit and help that doesn't exist necessarily as easily. Wow. Yeah. yeah you know, it, it's ironic. The, the denser a population is that you live in, the, the less personal reputation matters mm-hmm. to the community. Right. It's in my, because I've lived in San Jose, Los Angeles and you know I grew up in a very small town so I've kind of seen it all the whole yeah. spectrum and I totally understand what you're saying it's, things 4th of July that same first season um, I bought a kegerator this is important <laughs> and uh, gets delivered got put together well you need CO2 tanks nobody told me that I don't know. I've never done that um, and on the 4th of July I we're having all these people. We're gonna have this big party, and I'm all excited. And Fall River Brewing Company got me my kegs. <laughs> I don't have any CO2. Same thing. Go into town. Somebody goes, "Oh, you got to go see Joe Bruce, sweet little old man." I find his business. It's closed. I'm banging on the door. He happened to be there. He came out. I have my regulator. I need a CO2 tank that this will work with. It's like that's not gonna work. Give me an hour. He built a regulator, found a CO2 tank, came down to the lodge on the 4th of July, shows up with his daughter, got me all hooked up. That man didn't know me. He didn't even charge me. Did not know me. Wow. And it was the best. Yeah, it made me immediately love this community and this place where we cool. are. I mean, Fall River really Mills, cool. no one's ever heard of. 
we're in the middle of nowhere. So can you fly cast like Joan Wolf now, or uh, are you getting there? Right. Getting I'm pretty there. fishy. I'm, I am pretty fishy. <laughs> you know fishy. the lingo. I, I All like, of our guides you will tell the you. Walk, that. <laughs> the well, you talk the talk. I had to learn, and fishing wasn't, it didn't worry me. I just wasn't, I was really, I was a terrible caster. My first season, just wore yeah, it. It takes practice. It. Like I could everything. land a fish. I couldn't cast for anything. Yeah, I'm, I am really fishy, and my casting has definitely improved. And Good. I love fishing. I'm awesome. gonna, I'm gonna test that statement. So I want you to close your eyes. Okay. Whoa! Run it. <laughs> yeah, she's for That's real. a tiny little real, real, though. It is a I tiny want a big real. real. She's for real. That's tiny. Uh, uh oh. Oh boy. <laughs> Never mind, won't go. <laughs> See, NorCal fly guy. Everybody. So funny. Um, all right, so in terms of running the business, I mean, what, what do you guys, What just go through your service offering sure. for those. We, we have a, a pretty large contingent of people in the Bay that listen yeah. that would probably really be in your guys' lodge. Yeah, and a, and a lot of our clients come from the Bay Area, mm -hmm. um, Southern California, truthfully, all over the United States. But... We're the only full-service, um, all-inclusive lodge in California, theoretically. So wow. when you're with us, all your meals, beer and wine are included. I have a phenomenal chef. We eat. It's San Francisco five-star quality meals. Um, so you arrive. It's my home, and it feels like you're in my home. That's That's pretty cool. the one thing. We're not transactional. We're very relational. We have a huge guest population that just returns year after year after year and you really are family you know at least every other month my family my kids my parents my sister and her husband are there they're sitting with them at dinner and um, I dine with our guests every night at dinner I'm there at breakfast with them in the morning 70% of the time I check you in to the lodge um, before you ever stay at the lodge we're gonna have a conversation I want to know what you're looking for, what you expect. Do you have any food allergies? What do we do to make this work? Because you're traveling That's to a important. pretty remote yeah. place. Yeah. And um, so when you arrive, uh, you get yourself checked in, and typically it's going to be late afternoon, and you'll grab a beer, a glass of wine, go sit out on the porch, and um, we serve dinner. We dine family style, so we all sit around together, tell fish stories, are the get guides, to know each the other. the guides right there, too? Guides or? are right there. Guides yeah. join us. Yeah, nice. So guides are part of every meal, um, which occurs in some lodge situations, yeah. not in all of them. Yeah. So my guides have a home on the property, and they live there during the season. So when they're working, they get to live on site. What is that season? Uh, last Saturday in April through November 15th. Okay, so the trout, regular trout, trout season. season. Yeah, is when regular you guys trout are season. You guys don't exactly. cater to people outside of that, that time frame? No. Yeah. It's, just, it's too cold. Yeah. Even though Bomb Lake's a year-round fishery and the pit yeah. below, pit three, is open. Um, pit three's blown out now. Right. And there's just not enough draw to get people in. My utility bill's a little yeah. outrageous. What, what's, the, what's the craziest request you've had from a client? He wanted um, me to get him into the hatchery to get a fish to take home. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> we jumped the fence? Yeah. And, and he, he was, was serious? And he was a, a Hollywood type. No, he wanted. He just thought somehow he or I could sweet talk the hatchery into letting us go in and get this massive fish so he could take home a trophy. Um and yeah, that was ridiculous. I sent him to Safeway. That is so trout. crazy. I, I'm just trying to. I, I was thinking somebody would say, "Hey, they show up. I want uh, two twin <laughs> Filipino girls right, in bunny right, suits. Right. You know, now something. those are golfers that do that. The golfers are the golfers are, really, are dirty. They yeah, are. Fly, yeah. 
you know, again, back to why and when I did this, I don't want life. I don't want this. But compared to a dude ranch or compared to what, and when you're in hospitality, people that do all sorts of horrible things in your rooms. And, it's been a blessing. Oh, my gosh. It, the best community, you know, ecologically thinking. It's catch and release. You're spending a lot of money to kiss a fish and let it go. Um, that is bizarre, right? So when you have that mindset, um, I think it we're, we're getting a quality of guests that is just so much fun. And again, cool. it's feel your family. Your, the attention to, so just going to your booth, I was so impressed. I mean, you had, it was like, it was like going to my mom's house and like, yeah, just, it was the so awesome. you had out of the everything. Lodge, yeah. I, well, yeah, so I mean, awesome. you guys are, you can tell you're in hospitality because yeah. you had beers on ice. There's no other booth here that that's how it has all you can drink beer. On yeah. Ice. All you, beer, <laughs> snacks. It's, beer. I can't, I mean, I, I want to go to the lodge just to experience. You're what invited. It's like. yeah. okay. Be my ho- be okay. my guest. You need to come experience it yeah. because and it really is fun. So what? Twin Filipinos and bunny suits are coming <laughs> yeah, no, out of the question. That's not happening. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. A, a friend happening. of mine wants to know what um, what rivers are. Uh, so what are you fishing? Yeah. When oh you my come god. Up there? We are so fortunate. Um, we are surrounded by water, and it's it's really interesting how this part of California is a secret to so many people. Um, so we are on the Pit River. We're on the Pit One stretch of the Pit River, and oh, the Pit cool. River is everything that flows then into Lake Shasta, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But within 15 minutes is the Fall River, and we've got five boats spread out on the Fall River, both the upper and the lower river sections. We fish Hat Creek, Bernie Creek, um, the McLeod, the Upper Sack. On your way home to the Bay Area or Southern California, you can fish the Lower Sack with our guides. Do you fish so, any lakes? Is there any lakes? Um, Bomb Lake yeah. is a little tributary. Yeah, I fished essentially, it. yeah. It's cool. Yeah, Bomb Lake there. Um, Eastman Lake is off the Fall River. Mm-hmm. It's not really a lake. It's flowing in from right. Lava Creek. Right. Great big wild yeah. fish there. Yeah, yeah. So the beauty of where we are, there are a ton of fish. Ninety percent of them are wild on Bomb Lake and on uh, Bernie Creek. You're going to get some planted fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, everything's wild. They're fresh. They get six months off, um, and the water is always cold. So, except for that pit one stretch of water, yeah. everything stays cold. And a ton and of nutrients in that water. So yeah. We've had some biologists that just rave about that yes. particular water. Subduction to salmon. So Carson goes and stays at this place. Yeah, Carson. Yeah. We love yeah. Carson yeah. and the Watershed Sciences Group at UC Davis. In fact, the dean, um, uh, Helen Dillard, Helene Dillard. She comes and stays at the lodge with her husband oh, now, wow. the dean of, at UC wow. Davis um, of Watershed Sciences, or of the that's the agriculture school. That's cool. Um, and she's a, a big fly fisher. So how 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 many miles away is, is Pitt, and then how many miles away is Fall River? Because so those are two 15. I haven't fished. So from really our lodge, to. we're on the Pitt River, Hat Creek, and the Fall River within 15 minutes. Awesome. We can get you the conservancy on the McLeod is yeah, a yeah, little yeah. over an hour. That's a hike. That's yeah. a drive and a commitment, an hour and a half and a hike. We in. call it the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah, yeah, that one's, but it's so worth but it. You're centrally oh, located in just ridiculous. a prime area for and all then, of that. And you know, Bomb yeah. Lake is a great place to take even families and kids, yeah. stick people in a drip yeah. boat, yeah. get them on the water. It's just pretty and you get to see fish going by it's like a big aquarium you've been to bernie falls yeah beautiful you can, you can fish that base of bernie falls stand on a rock and we have photos of it there That's cool. and people don't believe it but you can actually fish into that pool yeah. and pull out nice fish beautiful yeah. fish yeah 
Um, and then obviously up above. You can the jump falls. off of it too if you want. But might it sounds little, like might be a little scary. It sounds like Disneyland for trout, essentially. Yeah. It, it it really is. It's uh, yeah. it is. It's Disneyland for trout. It's Disneyland for people. We're on the Pacific Crest Trail, so there's yeah. we're just hiking. Um, the the area where we are doesn't have a lot of organized recreation. It's a downfall of the area where. If you want to kayak, if you want to hike, you have to sort it out on your own and show right. up with your own stuff. There are a couple of really good companies that will rent you kayaks and get you out on the water. But um, for the most part, it's going to be fishermen who are up there chasing. But having that opportunity, and you know, I love. I grew up fishing in Idaho on the Clearwater River, which is funny that now I have Clearwater Lodge. Um, and there were, but you fish the same river and the same style and the same technique over and over again. And I think there's so many anglers in California who get on airplanes and go to Wyoming and Idaho and Montana. And you don't necessarily have a lot of variety. You have a lot of fish and it's beautiful. But if you stay here in California and come up into our area, the Pitt River is this big, rough, bouldery, slippery, wild, feisty trout. Hat Creek, you can have a meandering, riffly area. You can get down into Lower Hat and get into some boulders and some moving water. The Fall River, the largest spring-fed system in Northern California, or in, I'm sorry, North America, with this current and these big, beautiful, wild fish. Um, Bernie Creek again. Um, you just but, did a great job, ex- better job than any guide we've had on here explaining or, those areas. Or us. We might need a third code host if you're interested. (laughs) You can fish there for days and never see the same stretch of water. And every single river, you're going to rig differently. Technique's going to be different. Bugs are going to be different. And where do you go when you get that within 15 minutes of where you're coming home and eating and sleeping? I think that's indicative of California at at large in terms of as a fishery, right? Very diverse. Right. Extremely diverse. And it's just beautiful. So it is a place that if you haven't visited that area, go. You don't have to stay with me. You can fly right Just into Redding, drive right up there. It's right. pretty. It- San Francisco, there's now direct San Francisco to Redding. There's direct Los Angeles to Redding. Um, Medford, the Medford Airport, is only two hours north of us. And then Sacramento's three hours. Uh, Reno's three hours. Are your pi- are, are your prices posted on your website? They are. Can Everything's you run on our through website. them? I'm sure people are wondering what, what yeah. it would cost. Um, so we gear towards per person because we feed you and drink you. Yeah, and all take inclusive. Care of you. It's all inclusive. Except and the bunny costume yeah, girls. Yeah, no bunny girls. Sorry, yeah. that's the last that. time. <laughs> However, there are a number <laughs> of promise. former brothels in Fall River Mills, and I'm sure we could figure something out. <laughs> Although you would want to import talent because. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get those those fishermen from Wyoming out here. You got to you got to tempt them with the right cheese. Yeah, that's not sorry, not gonna happen. Just big wild trout. That's funny. Um, So Um, we are uh, anywhere from three hundred to four hundred dollars per person per day. Uh, If it's a couple sharing a room, sharing a bed, Um, we don't have two beds in a room. Um, It's six fifty a day. And then guided fishing is $500 for a full day. Okay. That includes all your equipment. So we provide waders, boots, rods, reels, flies, terminal tackle. You just show up. We're really great at teaching people how to fly fish. So we run a number of schools um, and have programs set up that we can start with beginner anglers to intermediate to advanced. Our water, because of the selection of water we have, we could have a husband and his wife or a husband and his 12-year-old son or daughter on the water 
and he can be a father, sorry, and his daughter, son. Um, he could be a great angler and his child could have never fished and they could be fishing 50 feet apart and catching fish together. That's super that's We fantastic. have that great diversity. Well, it's really you, fun. you got a high-end group of guides too there that are that are fantastic. Uh, men and women yeah. guides that, the uh, most that do a great job for you. The Kayla amazing works for thing. You Kayla, yeah, yeah. Kayla, yeah. Kayla, I finally got a female back. You know that she was our first guest on the podcast. No. 73 guests ago. We're going to talk to her in a, wow. in a, in a second. <laughs> So I'm really, really happy. I met her, Kayla last year at the show, and I had heard about her and um, invited her to come and meet us. She tagged in at the end of one of our guide schools. And the beautiful thing about Kayla, she is beautiful, by the way, is her spirit, her yeah. joy for yeah. what she does. She lives, breathes. But she's a guide. Fly fishing, yeah. Yep. I, when she came in to guide with us, I put her up in her own separate housing. You know, I have a guide house, which is kind of like an animal house. They're, they're all there. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of beds and a lot of bedrooms and bathrooms, but it's like, oh, I have a girl. I'm putting you in your own place. I put her in the lodge or I put Aww. her in a little house. Third day she's there, she says, I want to be in the guide house. Yeah, she just kept I going would, and hanging out yeah, in the guide house. That, that's Kayla, too. She just went, you know. But, and she Good. was a guide, and they. the great thing was they cleaned the house. When I said to the boys, Kayla's coming, they started <laughs> keeping the guide house funny. cleaner. <laughs> they made sure the bathrooms were clean. Things got, started getting put away. So they really cared about Kayla. Were they, did they start, like, shaving a little, their necks a little more? Yeah, no. The, so yeah. the beautiful thing is, They're much still like guides. me, right, right, guess, right. we don't. The beautiful thing about fly fishing, I, you know, I'm a single woman who owns this lodge. My daughter lived there with me the first two seasons. I never felt threatened or there wasn't an oddity about a bunch of male guests um, and being there. And our guide staff embraced Kayla and she's their sister. And there's no monkey business that goes on, but they keep the guide house a lot cleaner. That's, That's awesome. And the thing I love about Kayla is... She doesn't want her male or female guests offering to pick up her ice chest and put it in the boat. She's a guide. She does her job. I, she can do the heavy lifting I, uh, and do what she does. I, we got a guide trip with her. My dad, my my two cousins came up, uh-huh. and she rode my two cousins around all day. And they're you yeah. know they're not as big as I am, but they're they're like right around yeah. two hundred each. And yeah. she did no problem. Was no, like, she outfished my boat. She outfished me. Yeah. And we were I think in front she caught of her more fish. I think we I caught a bigger front. I think we got a bigger one I, in I boat. But I, I think yeah, but and we were in front of her too. More numbers. And she was taking the same line. Uh, <laughs> Kayla's no joke. Kayla's she um, she's a guide and she wants yep. to be a guide. She she isn't a girl guide. Yeah. She's a guide. Yep. And I really appreciate and respect You're her lucky. for that. So lucky. You're and lucky. we had two female guides in previous years associated with the lodge who kinda went on, you know, had children, did other things and I was really sad that I couldn't, as a female owner, find some um, female guides to to have join the group. So we're thrilled that Kayla's with us. Cool. And, um, all of our guides are just amazing, and they all have their own independent guide businesses. But during trout season, they commit the majority of their time to the lodge, and they're part of our family. Our guests are used to fishing with them and knowing them, and. They all really have a, a really phenomenal do they, brotherhood. Do your guests request you to take them out and, and go fishing? Yeah, or that would know? be a mistake. Yeah. Just, to the, just to the hatchery only? Yeah, exactly. Just the hatchery yeah. destination? I'll fish with guests on occasion. I don't get to fish as often as I'd like. I love doing it, but... it's Yeah, it's ironic the people that are in the fishing industry don't actually get to fish all that much. The boys are really, boys and girls, Kayla included, are really good about 
begging, asking, come on, Michelle, let's yeah. go, let's yeah. fish, we sure. got to go. And there are times where I get to take advantage of that. But I also have horses on my property. I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah, I pay someone to come ride my horses because I don't get to go do that, let alone How many fish. horses do you have? I have three right now, nice. and I have three mini donkeys. Oh, I have cool. Churro, Margarita, and Nacho. Those are great and they're names. darling. <laughs> and they come and visit with the guests and hang out on the lawn, and I have a bunch of cats that run around. I have dogs. I rescue dogs. I have golden retrievers that meet you when you arrive. Guests bring their dogs. I it's really, kind of like a zoo. So it's I really a, want to it's, come up. It's the full farm experience, it sounds like. Full farm. Total farm. So, Michelle, how do how do these people get a hold of you? How can they contact oh. you? What's the, what's the best? Yeah. Thank you. So, clearwaterlodge.com, um, all one long word, and then info, I-N-F-O, at clearwaterlodge.com. And you're we'll go- send you, you to me. And you guys are on the Instagram, yeah? We're on Instagram at Clearwater Lodge. Um, I'm Michelle Titus at Clearwater Lodge. All of our guides have their own um, logins. Yeah, Facebook, Clearwater Lodge. I think it's Clearwater Lodge Pit River, some of okay. our things. Um but we're really easy to find, and we'd love to have you come check us out. If you have any questions, just call. You'll well, always get a hold of me. Uh, well, and being in the industry for a long time, I've heard nothing but great things about that lodge, thank and you. I think they, they just won by you taking it on from yeah, here on out. So it's been a That's blessing. Awesome. In my you passed life. the real test, so you're you're good in my book. <laughs> get a bigger reel. <laughs> no more drag. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. It's been a pleasure meeting you. No, thanks for what you're doing to our industry. Bet. Up next, we have Ron Vanderheiden. Ron, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a great show out here. Yeah, so uh, Nick and I were shuffling around yesterday, and we looked over at your tying bench, and you had some really interesting flies. We walk up, and I heard two people behind me walk past me and go, oh, those are those squid flies. And, And then we looked at them, and then Nick... Nick, you're you're like way better at the the, the stuff than I am. So can no, you kind of like well, it was unbox? I, all I saw were like squid tentacles, you know, and and, and just this so two juicy. fly that I was like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. So I I popped in and you you tell the rest, Ron. Well, I mean, when they actually designed the fly years ago, twenty some odd years ago, uh, Lefty Cray saw that fly at the uh, Semtail show, and he goes, Ron, is that your fly? And as a proud parent, I'm going, yes, Lefty, it is. Lord <laughs> of all saltwater fishing, and he goes. That's the best squid fly I've ever seen. So I never touched the ground for the rest of the show. Uh, but that fly has gotten me so many Dorado. It's my number one halibut fly. But I think you guys are interested in that rooster fish. Yeah. And yeah. so what Tell we found out story. is when we cast this fly out, I use a slime line, which is an intermediate. Cast it out. If you guys were fishing normally, you're going to cast out with your fly rod. Then I'm going to have a spinning rod with no lures. And my job is to work those roosters up into a frenzy. Yep. So a fly fisherman could never do it by himself. But if you use a tube fly and you cast that fly out, and I do this long, slow rip off the water where that fly's skittering across the surface, and then the first thing you see is two fins of rooster tails up on the top going back and forth. I cast it again. I rip it across the surface, and now these rooster tails are going back and forth. I do it a third time. I rip it across, and they're flashing in the water. I drop that fly, count to three, one strip, rooster. Rooster. Wow. Seth and I, Seth Norman, he's a well-known rider, probably the most famous fly rider in the western United States. Him and I were averaging 20 to 30, ro- 30 rooster fish a day with that fly in the surf. And he just turned to me and goes, I've never seen anything like that. So I'd like to tell people it's my fly. Unfortunately, I found out it's just because it's on a tube. <laughs> any, any fish other than a clouser 
any fly other than a clouser, you should have some tube flies made up because when the air goes through the tube, it gets pulverized. And those little air bubbles, remember when you blew bubbles as a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little bubbles lasted forever and the big ones popped yeah. right away. Those little bubbles look like the oil that's coming off of a scared bait fish. Because oh, when they whoa. run for fear, whoa. those oils come off and a fish looks at them. They weren't even going to eat them. They go, shit, he's running. I'll go get them. Boom, and they attack them. <laughs> so when you got a fly that can produce bubbles, it's imitating the oils that come off of a scared bait fish. Yeah. And you will instinctively trigger an attack. And it's it. also a bit like a, a, a the trail of a comet. So if this thing's exactly. trying to figure out where that bait is, it can reference its direction and orientation, right? or orientation and speed or whatever. Here's the you thing. Know? If you see a grizzly bear, what's the last thing you're supposed to do? Run. Because <laughs> yeah. it triggers Which an attack. Which is the first thing I would do. But, and <laughs> I know this I know this conceptually, but instinctually, <laughs> I'd, I'd run. run. When you've got a lure that can imitate a bait fish that's in fear for its life, you're triggering a response from that game and, fish. Yeah, we, and that rooster will crush it. We talked to Mike Mercer uh, a couple weeks ago, and he talked about triggers. triggers. And we've been talking about triggers yeah. all, all like, last 10 days. We were kind of trigger happy, you could say. <laughs> Mike's a good friend of mine. and He's, he's a stud. A, oh, he's an incredible tire, and he's actually going to be in a video of mine coming up that's going to be released shortly. Nice. But, uh, um, yeah, you want to trigger it. Another thing is red eyes. Like, the only two-ply you don't want to tie is a clouser. You just don't want to tie clouser because they're meant to not be on a tube with a tube. Right. A tube will interrupt that jigging action that they right. have. But if you went fishing, um, what would be your number one color for a clouser? Everybody says chartreuse and white. And they, they go, Ron, what's your favorite color? I go, white. I go, so I go to Baja, I bring chartreuse markies, I bring pink markies, I bring right. brown markies. And I've been down eight out of ten days, it's always going to be chartreuse and white. But two out of ten will be little pink flies. And all my friends go, oh, all I brought was chartreuse and white, and I got a permanent marker. I'm marking up on the fly. Yeah. You never want to have the wrong color. If you carry markers and white flies, especially on a trip, a destination trip where you can't bring a bunch of stuff, you'll always have the right color. Are you you Copic or Sharpie guy? I'm a Sharpie. Yeah. But they do bleed. Go ahead. It holds better, right? That Sharpie cut. Well, even with a Sharpie, you'll have to retouch them up from day to day. Yeah. But. It's just why have the wrong color fly? Now, if you're tying, if you're fishing locally, you're going to have plenty of flies with you. But if you're on a destination trip, what right. a beautiful way to have always have the right fly, the right color. You're in the money. If for those of you listening that uh, that don't know what a rooster fish, you got to look it up. It's it's one of the most um, amazing predators that we have in our ocean. It's an inshore fish. Um, it, they have this literally a rooster that comes up when it's going to eat. And it'll pop up out of the water. They're super aggressive. They're very smart fish and hard to catch. So when you're talking about those numbers, that's that's amazing. Can I give yeah. you my definition? First, as a pro fly fisherman, people say, what do I want to catch saltwater? And my first answer, you need to go catch a Dorado. Dorado, yeah. They hit the fly. They jump. They change color. They're beautiful. Yeah. My passion is roosters. I've actually apologized to three or four of them. I call them the Fonzie of the Ocean. You bring them into the beach eventually, and they got this big eye, and they look at you with this attitude. And I actually let them go, and I go, I'm sorry. Hey, thanks for the fight. And I, and I sit there and go, I just apologized to a fish. They're the, they're the baddest-ass fish, in my opinion. They you really don't, are. You don't turn one. You guide them slightly towards the beach. El Gallo, right? Yeah. El, El Gallo for the yeah. locals. 
That's it. Yeah, they're uh, they're awesome. Uh, one of, one of the, my favorite fish to target by far. So t let's talk about that fly real quick. Um, when I walked up, you 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 were you had it. Uh, hook shank it just that's what you're using as the base usually you have a an actual contraption that holds that tube fly in place and you're like no all you need is this 911s tmco hook and i've never seen you take a picture of something so fast the, <laughs> the number you're like oh this okay. is how mike mercer and all the fly shops are going to hate me right now <laughs> because they do sell these beautiful uh, they are tube nice fly, kits tube fly kits yep. that you could put on a vice you tie all these different sizes because I'm a little bit of a cheapskate, I found out that TMCO 911S 2-3-4 extra long shank, you put it in your vise, now you got a tube fly vise for about $1.50. And so the, you, the, the point of the hook is cut off and the front of the eye is cut off? Yeah, at first I didn't cut, cut the barb off and I used to bleed all over my flies. <laughs> <laughs> and even when you cut them, first off, it's such a strong steel, yeah. you're gonna ruin a pair of dikes and it'll be sharp. So you gotta sand them a little bit to make them workable. And then give those out to your friends. And again, the guys that make tube fly vices are going to hate me for this. But you can be, be tying tube flies for less than $2. you got a vice. There's no excuse not to have a tube can, fly. Can you give up where you source your tubes? Yes, I can. And thank God I checked with one of the people that were walking through the show today. Because I bought this tubing. I found it in a, a craft shop for like model trains and airplanes and that type of stuff. It's called Plast Truck. Like plastic, but plastic truck. What, what down, size? They're down in LA. I'd have to go major. So there's different I think di diameters they're, of it. They're right different now. diameters, yeah. but you get the one that fits that 911S yeah. hook, which is, their, uh, I think, one of the smallest sizes, second Small. to the smallest. Yeah, okay. And uh, um, basically, what happened is I had the guy look it up. They're still in business, thank God, because I don't have any connections with the company. Yeah, you're going to be screwed. Your margins are going to go away if they ever go out of business. <laughs> well, they don't even know me, but I bought a log of these two oh. years ago. <laughs> like, who and, the hell is this guy? I bought like a, a pound of these things. I've used them ever since, and I don't. I mean, I've tied on copper, I've tied on, I've tied on glass, and people go, well, why would you tie on glass? If I'm doing a presentation fly, like a fancy steelhead fly, we'll put a little LED behind it, Whoa. and that fly glows. Very now, you wait, never fish back, with a glass fly, because you hit up, the bank, you're going to hit this what do, you, what do you mean? Like, the like it's a, the body's glass? What I actually mean? tie on a glass tube. The tube is glass, sure. yeah. So he can light and, it up, and it lights everything up. With and that. you can put a LED that's powered inside oh, of it? Oh, it makes it light that's up. That's so dirty. So what you do it, yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Dude, we don't put I, it inside. My, put my it mind just went to Stillwater lake fishing at night <laughs> and just ripping browns on a led glass tube infused fly if oh you, my yeah, god well you wouldn't fish with them but if you look at fly tires personally part of them are they're diehard fishermen like myself but they're also artists so when they want to show that fly they want to make it pop and there's tricks and right. that's one of the tricks in the industry and if you ever look at a good fly plate they'll use clear uh, plastic tubing that they glue the fly in the back so the fly looks like it's floating at, you know, a half inch over the, uh, the backing. Yeah. And it just makes that fly look alive. And that's one of the tricks we'd use in the industry to make flies pop. So we're going to, we're going to post a picture of that fly, but can you describe it real quick? We got the tube, the material of the tube that you're using. What, um, what, what do you use for body material? On it's the a simple fly. Yeah. The cactus chenille is, I get it from Jay Fair's company. Yep. And it's a pearl, awesome. pearlescent. And the only thing that you have to do with this fly that's different than any other fly, if you just wrap the cactus chenille around it and you put the soft hexes, which the key to this is the soft hex that keeps the fly glued together but soft, you have to pull back on the material or stack it so it's nice and a good firm body. And then I take a toothpick, two or three drops of soft hex, and I rub it all the way to the core. 
it dries into in the chenille. Yeah, into the okay. chenille. Then you can later, honestly, take a razor blade to it, and it won't unwrap. Okay. But when you crush it, it feels soft. Yeah, so would, to a fish, when a fish bites at, they go, this is the hard plastic lure. They hang on to it. Right. That's and a good idea. I was trying to figure out how you did that. I thought you were hitting it with a lighter or something and just kind of like, you know, singeing the outside of it to crisp it up a little, but that makes more sense. Nope. We just simply uh, uh, glue it on there, and then the front and the back is rabbit fur. A lot of people, their instinct is to go to cross-cut, which is going to lay flat or to an angle. You don't. You want to use zonker-type strips that are mm-hmm. straight cut. So when you wrap the rabbit fur, it stands up straight. When it gets wet, it profile. pulls back. Good and you profile. probably ask me, how did I color it? Well, it's with those Sharpies. <laughs> so you want your base, your white's your base. White's the base. A little purple, a little pink. I've done them in chartreuse. I mean, I've caught Dorado off all the different colors. Basically go down, I use the color that fishes the best. My traditional best has been a purple and a little bit of mauve. And you're putting red eyes on these? No. No. Red, did we talk about red you eyes? You said something about red eyes okay, earlier. We'll yeah, talk you about did, that. like as a trigger, I think, right. in reference probably. That is yeah. for baitfish. Squid eyes don't turn red. If you okay. go down the Baja, you pick up a sardinia, and you just flick it with your finger so lightly that it just taps, the eye on that fish will blow up red. Ah. So now you've got a fish that's been eating all day long. It's stuffed. It's not lo- longer eating. And you see a baitfish swim by, he looks at it and goes, whatever, I'm full. Another fish comes by with a red eye. Mother Nature will not let things go to waste. That fish <laughs> has to eat it because it's injured. It's going to die. That fish is triggered to eat it. Wow. Hence, all my flies have red eyes, except for squid, because squid eyes don't turn red. But if I have a bait fish, absolutely red so eyes. So the squid eyes are Blue. silver? Just silver. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get a uh, picture we'll of those. Yeah, they're we'll get they're really cool. The, eyes, the eyes are simply silver marli eyes. I put... Uh, um, the soft text over there bubble that up, and they make a nice bubbly eye. And then the tail is nothing but uh, some straight halfles that I just dot with a permanent marker to give them that squid look. And I use a little silicone, purple, uh, or excuse me, light pink, and uh, kind of a squid look. Can you can you guys um, describe the mechanics of a, a tube fly for people that aren't familiar with them? You, you know, we we talked a bit about it yesterday about. You know, the you, you use that analogy. Just, okay. You know, the tube squeeze. fly gives you I don't a bunch of advantages. Um, number one, in all deference to fly fishermen, I'm a fly tire, fly hooks are absolutely terrible hooks for fishing because they're straight. Straight shank, yeah. And if we had an offset hook, it's going to twist in the water, which will give an unrealistic appearance to our bait fish. But with a squid fly, you have that material in back. You can put an offset hook like an octopus from Gabagatsu. Yep. You squeeze that in your hand, I'll get the towel out because you're going to be bleeding. Okay? <laughs> that offset hook is a fish hooking uh, hook. You can put that behind it. Even if it rotates, the squid won't because it's a tube fly. So that's why with tube flies, we can get away with fish catching hooks. And fly hooks, we're limited to straight hooks for the most part. I was going to ask you, uh, that was going to be my next question. Um, do you use like a skirt, you know, like one of those like rubber like grommets to like hold that hook in place, or you just tie on to tie onto the, the line and the let eye the stop I, it? I actually snell it on because I'm used to whip finishes, so I do a little quick snell. But you can tie any hook. All my friends they know improved clinches. They put it back there. The fish floats back there. They grab the hook. Now here's the beautiful thing: if you're tossing, which is a great fly, a clouser, best fly in the world. If anybody comes up and says, "What's the best fly in the world?" They'll say a clouser. They either don't know or they're lying. Okay, <laughs> if, you, if you had to catch food for your family, it's a cloud. All right? But I love that. when you have a squid fly back there, it hits. What's that fish doing to the cloud? It's crushing that bait, that fly of yours. It's ruining it. 
is tearing it up. But any tube fly, now a deceiver, if you did that in a tube fly, an elf, you do the squid fly in a tube fly, when that fish hooks, the tube slides away from the fish. It's not in their mouth. The fly's not getting destroyed. That fly will last 10 times longer than the fly that's in the mouth of that fish chewing it up. The only rule is, three feet in front of that fly, you have to tie a blood knot with a little tag. We call that a stopper knot. If you have like a six-foot leader, which would be kind of crazy for saltwater, straight 20-pound tippet, and it ran all the way up, now that fly's far enough away where another fish will come in and bang that fly, Bust your line. You, yeah. Now you've got two fish, your fly's gone, and you've had a bad day. So put a stopper knot on all tube flies. That's a great tip. Great call. Do you, um, okay, so how about subsurface? Do, do subsurface, can a tube fly be tied for a subsurface Absolutely. presentation like at 10 to Absolutely. 20 feet? Some guys will even use copper or heavy tubes to actually get down. Okay. Personally, any fly fisherman knows that I'm a caster. That's going to make your cast chunky. Mm-hmm. It's going to uh, hit you in the head, take you to the hospital. <laughs> so to me, it's much better to get a neutral buoyancy, like that plastic truck I'm using. Any tubing that you like, that you think fish is good, use a sink tip or a sinking line to get your fly down. You'll cast better. You'll fish better. And you'll have a better day. Have you ever done any lead wraps on the outside of the tube? Um, I haven't done lead wraps on the outside of the tube because the diameter's there, mm-hmm. but I do use la- uh, lead with certain flies. And the reason I said earlier you would never put a tube fly on a clouser pattern because you want that short shank up front and you want it to dip, and that tube's going to stop that jigging motion. But if you have a deceiver, if you have an alf, if you have a, any baitfish pattern or squid fly, you should have some tube flies. Steelhead flies, everybody that steelheads fish knows that you have tube flies in your kit. Because it it's a fish-catching machine. It's like putting a magnet on your fly. You want that extra advantage. Yeah, now I want to tie some tube flies. There, it's it's fun. It's addicting. Ron, uh, tell, give us, we talked. We went right into the fly yeah, and they, talking about rooster. Give us yeah. a little, the listeners, a little brief history about yourself. Well, I've been in the fly industry for something like 30-odd years. I hate to say exactly how long. <laughs> I sound like a dinosaur. That's how old I, I am. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, started, uh, I started fly casting when I was 10, self-taught. By the time I was 16, I could throw a full fly line by hand uh, with a cotton glove. And I actually went to a river once. I was casting across the river. I hooked a fish, and these two old guys looked down. And they go, Christ, that guy doesn't even have a rod. And then an older guy with wisdom came up to me and said, hey, man, that's showing off. Don't do that. So I never did it again. Um, I actually got in the industry because I was one of the top five casters in the world for distance. And I'd go to the show. They'd have the pros up there. They'd let the consumers up there. I'd get up there. I'd throw over the pond, out the doors, in the parking lot. And rod company just start dumping cards in my pocket. <laughs> that's how I got in the industry. And then I started hanging with friends, world-class tires. And that's how I learned to tie. That's how I learned to fish. And uh, I've had a tremendous life in fly fishing. And I that's just awesome. try, to, try to put back, try to let the kids get out there and try it. I, I, anytime I meet um, an elite caster that's competed, I always ask them if they, they've, uh, they've ever hustled anybody for money. <laughs> have you on a on a casting competition i've never hustled but honestly i know all the guys in the world at least when i was younger that could beat me so if somebody came up and said hey you want to cast for distance i'll throw 20 down 20 dollars down so fast it will spin your head because <laughs> i know i'm probably going to win um but it realistically no i've never hustled but uh it is fun i went with a, a real good example john rosanix the inventor of soft text yep. which actually makes my fly alive we went down to uh, um I love the, that material. It's yeah, great. New Orleans, we're fishing for redfish. We got this guide, and sometimes guides are great. 
this guy was a little bit of a BSer. He goes, oh, I got a place where there's always tarpon. I go, really? I want to catch a tarpon. He goes, they're back here, but you can't reach them. What are you talking about? He goes, it's over 100 feet. Nobody can cast that far. I go, give us a try. You said hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a 130-foot cast. I pull off a bunch of line, first cast. I drop it right where this fish is supposed to be. And he goes, oh, God. And I say, John, you try it. And he unlocks one. He's a big dude, so this guy can cast. Big Russian guy. John can cast a long way. We both cast, and he just hangs his head, and he goes, I got two guys that can cast like gods. We're going to have a terrible day. Because <laughs> he could no longer say, hey, you can't reach him. Yeah, yeah. So that's the only time I had fun with that. So so, so you have a video online that uh, has, did you say, 9 million views? I am a, um, number one on YouTube. It's called Pheasant Hunting with a Bow. Uh, the thumbnail, you'll have a big pheasant with a big pink arrow in it. That's kind of my signature. And I'm nearly at 9 million views. And I, wow, I, hit, I do have crazy. people come up and they go, oh, you're killing birds. I go, hey, I eat the birds. I yeah. use the feathers for fly time. Yeah. And I get everything out of it. And I try to do it what I think is the most sporting manner possible. No, that's fantastic. I mean, talk, you basically, um, yeah. It sounds like a master of archery and fly fishing. I mean, what what the heck? What I else think are you if, doing if, you're, if you're killing anything with a bow, I think um, that's a a pretty noble way to pursue a, a, any kind of game. You know, you've really got to have your shit together and level up to even be able to do that. You would be stunned how many fly fishermen are into archery because it's kind of like that Zen yeah. sport. Yeah. Yep. To me, when I was younger and I'd fly cast. I wouldn't even be fishing. I was just tripping out on my line, watching go back and forth. They go. <laughs> to me, it was like the river runs through it. I go, this is magic. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, but now I'm into catching fish, just like everybody. A lot else. of people in Chico are. They if they archery hunt, they typically fly fish. Absolutely, they typically fly fish. Um, North Dakota is that where you do that? Where do you? Where does? Oh, I am going on a trip to uh, uh, Montana this year. Um, I got a friend that lives. I hate to even say the river on the Beaverhead because oh, yeah. he's not popular because he brings me and Dean Schubert. Who's yeah, you probably friend. don't want to say it then. And, uh, <laughs> Dean's actually, if you know Dean, he's one of the guys that invented indicator fishing. Um, he wrote for Fly Rod and Reel. He was Orvis head instructor. He opened up Leland's. This guy's a master fly fisherman. And we go back there and you do not want to follow us down the river. <laughs> I've, heard like that. I've heard that twice here uh, yeah <laughs> I, we heard that yesterday too. i actually tell people when and they I, see me on the river yeah. and, I, and it's rude to go in front of somebody yeah. i just say hey ron i saw it at the show and i say go in front of me i'm I don't, gonna low hole you i don't all want, day. i don't want to fish behind me either yeah. <laughs> um we I, quick question so locally within our town we've seen the pheasant population drastically decline and the turkey population go way up do you know why that is absolutely hey, t- talk to us oh about you do this yeah one word Habitat. Right. First off, okay. pheasants care about habitat. They need a lot of room. They need a lot of grain fields. We've actually cut all the side stuff off the roads where they can give mm-hmm. uh, protect their babies. Yeah. We've basically mowed, they mow it all down now. We've destroyed the habitat for pheasant. And you say, what about turkey? Turkeys don't care. They'll live in your neighborhood. They'll live by your house. They don't care about habitat. And that's why turkeys are absolutely exploding in California. Interesting. I, I thought that they actually had a, some kind of impact on directly on the pheasants, like they were eating the young or getting into the eggs or something like that. Nope. But yep. it is that it's, it's their habitat. Strict, huh? Strictly a turkey will, yeah. will raise their kids right by your house, that, right. and a pheasant won't. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. I, I'll, give you, um, I'll give you my golden tip right now. I've never been turned down as an archer to turkey. 
I go up to people. First off, I never wear camo. They don't put black eye makeup on. <laughs> I wear a white shirt, blue jeans. I come up and say, I'm a professional archer. Any chance I can hunt your turkeys with a bow? And I've had people say no. So he said, hey, you've never been turned down. The lady goes, go across the street. My neighbor would love for you to kill him. They ruin gardens. They peck on cars. People literally pay me to come up and harvest turkey. Wow. You just go ask. You just wear decent clothes and go like a professional. Tell them you want to take them with a bow. People will beg you to hunt their turkeys. It, it sounds like there's a business opportunity. That, like there's people that come in and do rat abatement. Like, you, <laughs> hey, you know, you just roll around town in a van with a turkey through an X through it or something. I don't know. They're pretty. They can be pretty mean too. I've seen one uh, chase down a friend of mine on on the gravel bar. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He he was on big gravel and his knees were buckling left and right as his turkeys flapping at him coming at. It's like an ostrich. If you haven't if you haven't been attacked by a turkey, you haven't lived yet. I've been I've been attacked by several. They come out, they start pecking in your car. You get out, they chase you around. You know, and then you start screaming. You're just going, God, I hope nobody's filming this. That's hilarious, Ron. You're a you're a class act. One of the best guys that I've I've had a pleasure of meeting here. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. And, and how really, can our listeners really appreciate it? Yeah, and how can our listeners find you on? Well, I actually have a website called Vansporting, short for Vanderheiden, Vansporting.com. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a computer guy, so it just crashed. But my <laughs> daughter, who's a genius, is coming down to visit me next week, and she's going to get it back up and running. Cool. There's all kinds of instructional videos how to shoot stuff out of the air. There's going to be a whole bunch of fly fishing videos coming out this summer, and I think your listeners will really dig it. It's called Vansporting.com. Are you on Facebook or Instagram or any of those platforms? You know what? I'm not that clever yet. <laughs> My yeah, daughter no says I need to get on that, but that's where I'm going. Cool. Cool. Well, well thank thanks you. for coming on and taking the time. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, Fish Bio and Amp.Bill. Fishbio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, Fishbio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Bill. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.bill.